Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, leaving on a jet plane. Don't know. What's the words? If I'll be back or when I'll be back. I don't know, but I know when I'll be back. But I know where we're also going. We're going to the UK. Hello, everyone. It is Monday, the 6th of February, 2023. And it is time for Morning Combat. Hello, I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my Connecticut brethren who somehow survived that that cold snap was legit on Friday, that he made it. It's my friend and yours going to Europe for the first time. Woo! It's B Sizzle. What's up, man? Hold on, Luke. I got to take a call. It's uh, London calling. Okay, <laughs> they, they need an award-winning podcast host to come out there. So, uh, you know, I'll break through my typical cultural ignorance and lack of world-renowned travel to uh, to do this. I'm fired the hell up, Luke. You've had a couple of these moments where you've texted me. I've had a few of those uh, where I've just said, "Wait, you know, we're supposed to act like this is business as usual." But you know what, Luke? It just isn't, okay? Just I isn't. mean, we host this stupid show that all of our stupid viewers love. And, you know, it's really stupid, right? And now we get to go to the UK. I don't know who greenlit that, but it's pretty damn stupid, and I love it, you know? Yeah. It is very. This is the dumbest show ever. We're going to bring that uh, idiocy across the pond back to our uh, our, our relatives in, in terms of historical uh, origin, the, the Brits. But it will be more than the Brits. There's going to be some French there. There's going to be some... I think some Irish there. Maybe I hope you Scots. get kidnapped by some Indians, Luke, who who as revenge for refusing to to honor your you know your origin story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. BC, do you like Indian food? <laughs> wow, you just got out of that one quick. You're like, yeah, wow. I mean, it's just it's just a very stupid line of inquiry. Do you do you like Indian food? I do, I do. You know, I'm a you know I'm a little bit of a bitch when it comes to hot, you know, to spicy, but uh, I do enjoy it definitely. Okay, well, I was gonna say this. You know, British food is. It's not that great, but but uh, but I'll say this: the Indian food in London is like the, maybe some of the best you can get anywhere in the world. So if you like uh, um, Indian food, we'll try some this week. All right, but for today, we have a lot to get to today. So we had Bellator that was on CBS over the weekend. We'll recap some of the highlights from that. We did have a UFC event. We're not going to get to a ton of it, but the portions that are relevant, we are. And of course, we now know when McGregor is. Well, we don't quite know when he's going to be back. But we know the first thing he's going to be doing when he gets back, which is the ultimate fighter opposite Michael Chandler. We're going to talk about that. Plus, we're going to have DMs from Donks. Have you seen this shit? A lot of fun stuff. So thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Hit subscribe. BC folks should know. They should know. And I mean this quite seriously. There are like a handful of tickets left. It is still possible. Candidly, you're probably not going to get a great seat. But we do have like a handful of tickets left if folks want to come see Wednesday show. Right? 
Yes, and if you cannot see Wednesday's show, uh, don't 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 you know don't weep about it. It'll air Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern on YouTube in our in our traditional Friday episodes. So you can check that out on delay. We'll have a nice bonus for you this Wednesday coming up. We won't have our normal morning combat. We'll be uh, we'll be filming a lot of fun stuff Wednesday, but we'll have the pregame preview with Chuck Mindenhall sliding in. So a lot to be excited about for 284. MK and UK, I mean, this, you know, Luke, if you and I should perish over the water, I do want to say I want this, I want, want to go out with a bang. So let's do a great episode today, okay? Like, you All know, right. like the big, you know, I don't know if the Big Bopper and Richie Valens, you know, put on their best show before they, before Buddy Holly was like, hey, come join me on this flight, you know, it'd be great. Don't worry about it, you know, and Don McLean was just waiting there like, guys, come on, go down. I got a great song idea. So let's bang right now, Tui, is really what I'm trying to say. All right, well, that's a very morbid and hor- horrific way to start the show, but we're guys, we're going to do that just the same. But still, if you want that stuff, it's there. The tickets, there's a couple, there's a, truly a handful left if you want to get them. But uh, it's going to be a capacity crowd. We're incredibly, by the way, I'm kind of proud that we were able to sell that many tickets. It's insane. Also, also I got to say, you know me, man, I normally don't get real nervous. I'd be lying if I said I'm not a little bit nervous for Wednesday show. I mean, we have a good plan, but, you know, it's a big deal. It's hundreds Um, of people that are going to be See, that's the only thing I'm not nervous about because I'm weird like that, Luke. This is, you know, this is what I've been dreaming about my whole life. You know what I'm saying? By the way, I I have received... Uh, fo- photos from the paquettes. They have they have gotten on the plane. They're 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 in the air right now, Luke. Okay, so committed. They're committed. They're coming from Mount Uniac. Appy is if he can clear customs, he'll be coming over from France. So many of our great great UK and UK plus listeners are going to make the hop over. So. <laughs> You know, I don't care if you're if you're an adopted Welshian like myself, if you're one eighth, you know, Irish, if you got a Scottish last name, all are welcome. Okay, we're gonna. This is gonna. I mean, look, would would you consider getting real crazy and like loading up on Delta Eights and driving out to Stonehenge and doing like a old school room service diaries there with some aliens? Or that's a little too far for you? Yeah, I'm not doing. I'm not going. I'm not driving to Stonehenge. We're not. We're not doing that. So, um. I'm going to stick to London. Plenty to see there. Plenty to see there. All right. Uh, as a reminder as well, we do have some merch for that. You can go to morningcombat.store. I think we have three, two or three London shirts in particular, but we have more than that beyond just London attire. You can see it right there. Uh, and then let's see what else we have. BC, I think that is it. If you're ready to get the show started. Real quickly, though, before we get to topic number one, we do have to go over the results from OK Bet on Friday, BC. Would you like to know the updated totals? Yeah, I, you know, I'm climbing out of the basement ever so slowly here. All right, so this past weekend, you and I were both three and two. Now we got diff- we obviously had different picks, so we'll go through them real quickly. Your overall record, BC, it's getting better. Still, still not great. Still four and four and then ten. Four, four and ten is your record overall. Mine is barely above average, uh, eight and six. So it's not like I'm out here killing the game either. And we were both three and two. So for this last week, BC. I whiffed on Fedor. That's an L for me. I did get Johnny Eblen correct for my favorite. That's a W. Whiffed on Max Roshkoff, like whiffed big time because he got stopped in the second round, although he did look pretty good early anyway. Over under, I got right. I thought Lara versus Avsaragova was going to go the distance. It did. And then I thought Ward versus Homasi was going to end in KO, and it certain or TKO anyway. It certainly did. For you, BC, here's your W. Bader, you called it. Neiman Gracie for your favorite. You called it. You whiffed on Derek Lewis. He took an L. You whiffed quite badly on Larkin versus Burkamov to go the distance. It did not go the d- distance. But you also got right the Emmanuel Navarrete, Navarrete versus Liam Wilson. You had that one ending in a KO. You get what the a w war there as well. What a war, Luke. Controversial, get- though. Do you see Dan Canobio timed how? Because so if you folks didn't see this, Navarrete gets knocked down, fine. 
tries to stumble to his feet, but then he drops the mouthpiece. And if you actually see how long it took for all of it to get done, the referee's trying to deal with the situation. Dan Canobio of CompuBox timed it. It was 27 seconds he had to recover. <clears throat> That's a lot. That's a lot to recover. So, uh, we'll But you get still get to, the W there. Yeah, we'll round up the boxing weekend during Have You Seen This Shit later today. It was a fun, uh, fun spew of events there, just the same. But yeah, okay, bet, Luke. I'm slowly coming back. You know, I didn't plan on going down early. Neither probably did Monica, but it happened, right? Uh, but I'm I'm gonna make I'm gonna turn my image around. I'm like her, Luke. Okay. All right, yeah, steady as she goes. Let's start it. Topic number one. We're gonna start with the biggest MMA event of the weekend, of course. That's gonna be Bellator 290 on CBS. Now, there's a few different elements about it I want to talk about. Let's start with just the fights first. Ryan Bader, BC, <coughs> excuse me, scores an easy, easy first round stoppage against Fedor Emelianenko in his retirement fight. First question I would have is. Was there any real lesson to this fight? It seemed in the end just ceremonial. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, look, was was the the fight ultimately a, a, a bit of a letdown from if you had outsized, romanticized expectations of Fedor, you know, potentially knocking him out to walk away on top, or if you had any idea of a sustained back-and-forth multi-round battle, which I just don't think was in the cards. This was going to be, you know, what, what recent Fedor fights have been, First round, we're going to touch gloves and we're going to come out throwing. But I got to give Bader credit. He didn't let any of the spotlight, any of the the pomp and circumstance, all those legends cage side. He didn't let any of that get to him. And on the flip side, Luke, whether look, you, you could argue it would have been smart strategy to shoot right in the beginning, take down Fedor and make this as as boring and, you know, one sided in the direction of Bader's strengths that he could have. Instead, you know what he did? He went out there and went mano a mano, relied on his speed and in, in, in a lot of good head movement and foot movement, a little sly stuff that kind of gave Fedor a little bit of pause from coming out and just throwing big and Bader took care of business. You know, it ends up being a little, I mean, to be fair, it ends up feeling a little like womp womp in terms of the expectations coming in, but that was Ryan Bader's job. And, and I thought he handled it as effectively as possible. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have much to add to that. He, he had a good game plan. And the other part too is, you know, we, we talked about it, right? Fedor's kind of wide open and the big lunging punches. He whiffed on a punch and, uh, Bader countered it over the top, dropped him, and then finished him off. I mean, it was, there's nothing controversial about it. The punches were clean. The application was great. It also kind of reminded me, it's like amazing, BC. You and I went through the resume review. I mean, how many times did you see Fedor trapped underneath fighters for very long times in his, like, in his pride run? Like, never. They couldn't hold him down. Randleman couldn't hold him down. None of these guys could hold him down. And yet, you go back to, like, the Bigfoot Silva fight, which, granted, was a long time ago. He got held down for a while, obviously got mounted there. And then in this fight, too, you saw Bader with that uh, the wrist ride on underneath that sucked him down. He was able to just, you know, land unobstructed, basically, with that with that left hand of his. These are all, like, adaptations and sort of, you know, relatively-ish modern usage of control mechanisms in the game. And it just kind of passed Fedor by, right? He just didn't have... He wasn't up against that when he was in his 20s in Pride doing that sort of thing. You can see the picture there, right, where he's got capture yeah, of the and, wrist. So, And you wonder, look, the, the last two wins... Does it does it end up in hindsight being a little bit of fool's gold to create this sort of renaissance run by Fedor to make this rematch possible considering the first fight ended in 35 seconds? I take nothing away from Fedor and the victory of 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 knocking out Timothy Johnson, but you do have to wonder, you know, he had pretty extreme speed, hand speed advantages in those two matchups. So maybe maybe we got sold a little bit on the idea that that he was back in a certain level of shape and focus. Granted that Timothy Johnson win was, you know, a year and a half before this 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 follow-up fight here against Bader, but you got to give Bader credit for actually coming in with a game plan, matching Fedor's speed, and then able to take advantage of him. You know, it, it 
Uh, I, I was hoping to look for a Fedor that was coming in hot like he was against Johnson, moving very well, kind of lighting him up with combinations. But Bader's not there to be hit, Luke. And I think, well, you know, a little bit of respect we do have to put on Bader for this overall move up to heavyweight. He's 39 years old, but he still seems to have a lot left in the tank. And if you can take away those two stoppage losses at light heavyweight in recent years, the first round one against Corey Anderson, and then, of course, the, the one-sided title loss to Nemkov, he's still unbeaten since moving up to heavyweight. So, mm. you know, the odds were what they were. They recognized the puncher's chance in Fedor. But with Bader coming in, taking it this seriously, not looking to let Fedor hang around, and, and you know, it was a very impressive performance, and I don't think he's done anytime soon. Did Bader do anything in your mind to make himself an attractive opponent for Francis Ngannou? Well, I think in general he is on name value alone uh, as a UFC vet, as a as a guy who's come up to this heavyweight division and shown his mixture of a high cardio wrestling attack with the improved boxing. Look, it's tough to beat. It's tough to beat in this in this promotion in this weight class. I think no matter what, though, if they made that fight, if Francis Ngannou signs as a free agent with Bellator, and whether he would walk right into a title fight or need a a warm up first, look, you're going to favor Ngannou. That's just what it is. But we got to put respect on this heavyweight version of Bader. I think that's my ultimate point and what I'm trying to say. That like you know he's not out there getting manhandled by people. He's a smart, you know, uh, formidable champion right now and you're never going to see him favored just by power alone against Nganu but when he says like he told me in the in the interview this week that you know I don't want that matchup but do I believe that I have a certain level of skill which matches up well against Francis to a certain degree he does Luke whether you'd favor him at all or not you know or not at all in this matchup I don't think look does this performance make people who didn't want to see Bader Nganu now suddenly do I don't think it changes that equation but if this is the direction Francis ends up going this is a good matchup. I don't, you know, I certainly don't hate it. It's a formidable opponent. Bader has proven that whether it's come against, you know, older names or not, he's a legitimate heavyweight at this point on the global scale. Also, I just want to make a point too, because we had Lorenz Larkin on this card. Now he had a great win, which I'm sure we'll look at a little bit later, BC. But the thing that stands out to me was, you know, everyone makes this big deal. Like if you leave UFC, you can just go and dominate Bellator. And, you know, sometimes guys like Ryan Bader end up doing that, but he is more the exception that proves the rule. You know, Phil Davis was, I think, was he a champion for a brief moment? Uh, but, you know, once Bader came there, he's kind of been in limbo. How about Lorenz Larkin? Was He beat Neil Magny and Jorge Masvidal in back-to-back fights. He leaves UFC. He goes to Bellator. He drops to Diego Lima, or excuse me, to Douglas Lima. You know, I think he had another loss after that, back-to-back. Paul Daly knocked him out. Paul Daly knocked yeah. him out. So he, my point being is he had to climb back to get to the point where he was just on the prelims. Now, again, this win did him a lot of good, but I'm pointing out Lorenz Larkin has been kind of MIA in, the, in, the, in terms of the public consciousness since this time. And I just want to point out Ryan Bader is not that guy. I do think, and I think he knows as well, yeah, his light heavyweight days are over. Right? It's, he's not the best light heavyweight in Bellator or the world anymore, but the way he has managed to stay relevant, to extend his game, to bring whatever athletic and skill development he has and apply it, <coughs> excuse me, in a very direct and forward way. And then, you know, obviously in this case, um, making a priority out of the heavyweight division. It's just been smart. It's been really successful. People take it for granted. I just want to take a moment and say, Bader, Bader excuse me, is kind of the, I want to say the exception that proves the rule, but for all the guys who have left UFC and gone to Bellator, Bader is, I think, easily the most successful of all of them. And folks should be a little bit more, I think, appreciative of how difficult it is to do what he's done. Granted, heavyweight, not as tough as, you know, 135 in Bellator or 155 in Bellator. But nevertheless, BC, a very, 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 very interesting pivot in his career. And I think one from going from UFC to Bellator and one that in his case paid pretty massive dividends. Not that easy to do. 
Um, okay, with that in mind, BC, I want to talk quickly about Fedor's retirement in terms of the, what you saw there. They had all the legends in the cage. I, I got to say, when they announced it during the week, I didn't really know what to make of it. I didn't think of it one way or the other all that much. But then when it actually happened, I really did think it was a great move by Scott Coker to have the Barnetts and Coutures and Shamrocks and Gracies and blah, blah, blah at Matt Hughes and Liddell and everyone else in that cage behind him as this kind of show of solidarity. Dan Henderson was there as well. I mean, you guys all saw it. I got to tell you, I thought that was a nice touch, especially since UFC president, who was never going to say anything nice about Fedor, (laughs) the UFC president, Dana White, on Saturday night being asked about him was like, yeah, he didn't want to come test himself here, which is, you know doesn't even deserve a response but i will say bc did you did you agree with me did you like the way that this looked on tv i loved it i love that part of it i love the 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 picture that they took i mean that to be fair that's kind of like that picture of all of them standing around fedor that they took that's the kind i'd want framed for my basement wall in here Mm. and it's because of i think the best thing scott coker said about this whether you thought the announcement on ariel's show you know was hit big or kind of hit underwhelming is that he felt like this was the end of an era. That's why he wanted to have all those people from Fedor's era there. And it, and it is. I mean, a lot of those guys are long retired and it, they were all Fedor contemporaries. And here's what's wild. Here's what I discovered. I didn't watch the Pride Days moment to moment as it happened. Uh, you know, I was watching UFC at that time, but but wasn't, you know, that deeply invested in Japanese MMA. I wish I was in hindsight. So when we did the resume review and you relive all of these Pride events in succession order of, you know, you beat this guy, you advance to face this guy. It was incredible. The the field that Fedor went through and, you know, going 27-0 and in a nine and a half year run. But what's wild, Luke, is watching those, it was like, Noguera was the dude. He was the guy that was destroying everybody until he met Fedor. And I think when you look around at all these contemporaries in the cage on Saturday night, Fedor's the last emperor, the last of the Mohicans, the last whatever. Like, he's the last one that was not only still active, but still relevant and still in a title shot that, you know, look, he earned that. He fought former heavyweight title contender Timothy Johnson and knocked him the hell out and looked like he turned back time in doing so. So I, I, I like what that final statement meant of him putting the gloves down with, you know, Couture, Liddell, Mark Coleman, all, you know, Josh Barnett, all these guys, the Gracies, all those around him, because it, those guys, a lot of those came before Fedor, but Fedor was kind of that bridge from the more barbaric, original MMA days of the 90s through pride, through what ultimately fueled this this era of true mixed martial artists into the UFC in the mid-aughts. And even though Fedor never ended up fighting in the UFC, he outlasted all of those legends around him. You know, he tends to have the best record among all those heavyweights around him in terms of the guys that he beat. And he was the last one who still kind of mattered here on CBS. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. Look, if somebody would have told you in 2011 when Fedor lost three in a row with Strikeforce, where we all were kind of like, man, what a great run, but it's caught up to him. Would he still be fighting in 2023? And would it be a sad, you know, disgusting event? Or could he still be fighting on CBS in primetime in a title bout? Dude, like, you know, you could have watched that rematch and been like, okay, it's what we thought it was. Fedor looked old, and, you know, to a degree he did, because he is old. But him getting to this point, like, his longevity has to be factored in high when, you, when you're when you asked, you know, what is Fedor, Fedor's legacy and why did he matter? Look at all those legends around him. They all petered out a long time before him, yet they have the respect for, for the real one. And and I can't echo it enough. You and I were both asked a million times on HQ leading up to this or wherever, you know, what is Fedor's true, you know, legacy in that? 
And, you know, you're always going to mention all the pride wins and they matter. But the dude's still doing it. And he was 10 and three in the last, you know, 12, 13 years since since those three losses in strike force. So we really, you know, it's it's wild to me that, that, that the best fighter to never step foot in UFC, which for the longest period of time that this sport has been active, has been the true top shelf major leagues of this. He's still in the discussion of greatest fighter of all time. That tells you a lot, Luke. You got to be great to to be in that spot, right? Have never fought in the UFC yet, still haven't, still have a, a place at the table in the argument of greatest fighter of all time. That's Fedor's legacy, man. I mean, timeless and and just classic. Represents the sport. A true gentleman. I look. I can, look. Obviously, me interviewing him this this week was last week was more about me, right? It was about me having that moment. But in general, the couple smiles and laughs I got that that I got out of him. You saw that pop up a little bit here and there, press conference and after the cage. He just he dropped the guard. It was the end of the run, and we got to see a little bit of who the true man is on the inside. And you know, I'm not saying he's some mythological perfect man. You know, I don't know what his beliefs are because he doesn't often share them, Luke. But what he does share, it it's it's solid. It, it's wholesome. It's kind of you know, it's a throwback to 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 what got us into this sport and the fact that he could still do this at 46 in 2023. Mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Whether that matters to anybody, whether that's just romance storytelling or not, you got to be humbled at that. Certainly. The only thing that really stood out to me, BC, I saw someone tweet this, I forget who it was, so please forgive me, I'm cribbing their point, but it's a it's a fairly accurate uh, accurate one, which is, you know, this is not like bas- or excuse me, baseball where you get Jeter's retirement tour. Remember every team he'd show up to, like the Mariners or the whoever, and everyone had a gift for him. As he retired, you know, like all of his foes would do that. And this went on for the season. And Kobe had something similar when he was alive. And those are fine. I'm not bagging on him. But, like, you just don't get those in MMA. You don't get those hardly at all in combat sports. Like, retirement fights are usually the fight itself pretty sad. We saw Frankie Edgar iced, right? We saw uh, Shogun Hua recently iced, Fedor, same kind of thing. You're not going to get, like, a celebratory, oh, my God, big KO, big sub, last heroics. I mean, sometimes that happens, but it's pretty rare. So that's why it's important for the promoter to do something beyond that to make the retirement, such as you can you know, telegraph those things, feel special. And it's hard to do. There's not an obvious kind of way to do it. But I thought that building around this idea turned out to be in the sense of honoring Fedor pretty good. Having the folks in the cage turned out to be like a really nice picture and very symbolic. And I think it made Fedor feel good. It made him feel special. You know, to me, it's just they're, they're not easy to do. And I know the UFC tries. But I would like to see people continue to innovate to get something closer to what we got here rather yeah. than the old, well, we got stretchered out. See you when we see you. You know, it's, it should be a little bit more, I would hope, that kind of a thing. I think that, that's a that's a that's one of the qualities that Scott Coger brings. He seems to obviously be a fighter friendly promoter, but seems to really respect history. And I think you saw that in the overall presentation of this card. And I'm here for that. I'm certainly here. You know, look. We could sit here and pick apart Dana's missteps, and we do from time to time, but his history of outwardly talking bad about fighters, sometimes in their absolute prime and sort of constantly being a, a downer in that regard, I mean, that that's not always the best look when, when our heroes are on the way out. So you're right. It is rare. I mean, even the, even the only comparison MMA-wise to if Fedor had gotten this done, if he had won and walked off, would have been the GSP win, but even that one, it was like he wasn't... He wasn't necessarily planning on retiring. Now, he wasn't going to go with Dana's agreed plan and fight Luke Rockhold next or whoever was next in line and actually defend that title. But 
you know, it took a while for him to officially retire. And even right now, it seems like GSP still trying to find that one perfect landing. We don't have exits like this, you know, win or lose where we are clapping on the way out. You know what I mean? I get, I mean, I guess we got a, a close UFC proximity of that seeing Shogun Hua in Brazil, get that fight. But you know, did that fight matter much? You know, I'd, I'd love to see more aging stars go out on their own terms in, a, in matchups they can win, preferably against other aging fighters. And so you can have this rare sort of victory tour thing that you're talking about. Our, right. This sport doesn't typically support that or produce that, but it is possible. All right. Point number two, BC. Let's talk about the co-main event. Johnny Evelyn defeats Anatoly Tokov 50-45 and then 249-46s. You could probably argue that Tokov won the first round, maybe. I think that's how I had it. But after that, it was the Johnny Eblen show, although he had to rally past certain bad points early in the, I think, second, even third rounds. But he did it, and he put it on him. BC, start with you here again. Most impressive thing about Eblen's victory from Saturday is what? The combination of his cardio and poise without question. I knew Johnny Eblen was very good, 12-0 and coming in, fresh off the destruction of Musasi, but I had my doubts. I had to see it, and I think in the first two rounds, Tokov at least showed why I picked him for the upset. He showed an ability to keep his back largely off the mat, right? His wrestling defense in the first two rounds was great, and when he was able to get into a technical striking battle with Eblen, Tokov kind of had the edge. You could have given him the first round, as you mentioned, and I thought he was leading that second round pretty well until Eblin rallied at the end. But Luke, the reason why that you have championship rounds and that more is required in title fights are exactly what Eblin ended up showing. Beginning in that third round, his constant pressure and his never-ending gas tank. I mean, look, he showed that Tokov is a very good fighter not ready for primetime fully at this level. And now I have to go, okay, I knew, you know, Eblin was very good coming in. Luke, he may be great. He may be a, a fighter who's 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 coming together right now in his absolute unbeaten prime and showing us how great he can be because he he outworked Musasi in just about every category. Now he does this to a, to a guy who coming in who had a 7-0 record since coming to Bellator and had a lot of strengths and abilities here to either cancel out Eblin potentially or maybe even come over the top and win it. Yet Johnny Eblen's combination of confidence and poise, which don't really equal the amount of experience he actually has, mixed with his ability to weaponize that cardio and wrestling, once he was able to capitalize on a fading tokoff in terms of stamina, he doesn't give you another chance. Like The fight is over. This was two and a half rounds into the championship rounds of full-on absolute domination. So what am I impressed with? that he doesn't buckle Johnny Eblen. And when he finds the advantage there, when he starts to be able to go downhill against you, he absolutely smothers and dominates you. So I'm humbled by seeing that. I picked against him because I needed to see more. He showed it to me. (laughs) He showed it to me, Luke. Absolutely legit. And somebody that Bellator should be outwardly aggressively promoting because he seems to be the goods here. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's great. I think he's a very good fighter. Um I believe personally that Johnny Eblen is among all weight class champions in major organizations, arguably the most unheralded in terms of how good he is versus the acclaim he gets for being that good. There's an enormous gap between them. It's something I've said before, but I really want to reiterate it here on this Monday show. The guy just doesn't get credit for what he deserves. Now I'm not going to, I don't think the comparison fully works BC and there are a lot of differences. Um, But to me, like a guy like Eblen kind of reminds me a little bit of, some of the better versions to an extent, to an extent of Chris Weidman. Now, Weidman was a little bit different. He had much more submission savvy 
uh, as in terms of like things he could weave into his game that we haven't really seen that from Eblen. Um, you know, and I think Eblen striking is good, but still a work in progress. So it's not quite the same. But in terms of a guy, a big physical 185er who's got a gas tank for days, who can wrestle you consistently, and, and by the way, in all different kinds of positions, and then can mix that with forward pressure, can actually do some striking so he doesn't have to constantly go to the wrestling. Dude, he didn't really go to the wrestling in this fight So what? Do you see the third round, really? I mean, it wasn't really a big yeah. part of his game until much later in the fight. That shows you he was able to get a lot of the work done he needed to just on the feet. And so, you know, there's a question, BC, of like how well would he do against the very best in the UFC? I think he's probably top five. It's hard to know how much further he is beyond that. You could imagine because of his wrestling, he would give Izzy or Pereira a tough time. But I think Whitaker is probably a nightmare matchup for him. There's a question of like how a guy like who's like a similar version of him, but not quite like a Marvin Vittori would do, or a Strickland who's got like very good takedown defense. So there's some questions here about like matchup dependent. How far would he go? But to yeah. me, BC, he's a top five guy in overall in the in the in the broader uh, expansion of 185 fighters. And I think Saturday seems like might be one of the first times people come around to that fact. Yeah, like I, my questions were essentially, you know, wh what if a fight isn't going his way? What if he's locked into the type of technical battle that is could potentially expose that his striking is not up to the same level of his wrestling? But the poise he showed in navigating those opening two rounds against Tokov when at times it was leaning to the strength of Tokov because Tokov was able to stuff those takedowns early. Man, that's that's championship level poise right there. And and he made some very key adjustments. And like I said, picked up on Tokov starting to gas out. And, you know, he played a big hand in gas in, in, in attempting to gas Tokov out by fighting at such a high pace. I mean, look, you 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 use that term weaponized cardio a lot. And even at the highest level, there, there can be differences between between cardio and, and fighters. There are levels to this game. And, you know, I, I still haven't seen somebody who can shut off his wrestling for five rounds. We've seen it now for two. What happens, you know, can somebody match him for five rounds on that level? You better be willing cardio-wise to go through hell to do that. And in this case, he broke Tokov. And having that superpower skill, that can make up for any other deficiencies or, or holes in your game without question. Also, I got to say, I'm not sure who, like, is a good matchup for him at 185 pounds. I want to pull up the Bellator middleweight rankings if I can, BC. Because I'm just looking around. I'm not really sure exactly who would be a good fight for him. So he already beat Musasi. Next would be Fabian Edwards. I still would favor Eblen there. Tokov he just beat. Salter he already beat. Rasta's coming up and looks like Hercules, but only is still doesn't have a ton of fights left. Or yet, excuse me. And then after that, it's Aaron Jeffrey, Austin Vanderford. Lorenz Larkin is interesting. It's still being ranked at middleweight, but obviously his last fight was at welterweight. And then Romero Cotton. Dude, I'm not sure Eblen's got... A real threat in that top ten. Yeah, you? Well, I, you know, is Luke Rockhold coming over, Luke? Because no, I don't. You know, he, even he had then, mentioned, I'm not sure that's a no. no I would for pick real, Eblen to win. Eblen had mentioned that that he expects the possibility of Musasi and Edwards fighting for for the spot, and he'd be you know down for fighting the winner of both of those. But you're right at this moment, unless some of those names on the bottom end can start making a run and put some wins together. Look, I don't think we've heard the last from Austin Vanderford still, despite how disastrous that one fight went against Gegard Musasi and his step-up moment. But, yeah, right now, Eblen looking pretty pretty, pretty damn good, Luke. I mean, this this was it. In, to get the co-main event status on CBS in this type of showcase, what else could he have done short of stopping Tokov? I mean, he was absolutely fantastic in this one. That, that to me, was one thing that I still think is a bit of an issue for him. Um, the lack of, <laughs> excuse me, the lack of the submission game. Sure. <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> 
<clears throat> a lack Look, of get that AG. I know you've been lying for a while. I mean, just just start, just join the revolution, please. It could change oh, your no, life. No, that's really. that's bong water. I just coughed up. Let's be very real about that. I feel fine. I'm I'm good to go. Um, but uh, what I was gonna say was I, you you got me off my track. BC, what the hell was I talking about? Now you were talking about Eblin's got to be able to. Um, oh yeah. The, the lack of finishing is still something for him to work on. Now, it was sure. nice that he had the cardio to go the full five and then to punctuate it with that amazing suplex. That was great. I mean, that was great. But I think to really get to the next level, and potentially if he does this, he can move up to 205, uh, the finishing. Got to really put in a little bit more of a way to like in- introduce danger and not just control into some of these bouts. You know, that's me nitpicking. I'm very much nitpicking. But uh, I do think he's got another gear to hit, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. And this was a great this was a great showcase in terms of how he's getting there. But I don't think he's done. I think he's actually got some yeah. improvement that's still left ahead of him. And it's a scary prospect if you're a Bellator 185-er, for sure. Luke, we got breaking news. Do you care about it at all? Uh, it depends on what it is. Tell me. All right. Per a release in a tweet from Mark Raimondi of ESPN, Tim Simpson has left Paradigm Sports to start his own uh, MMA management group called chosen advisory group he will retain israel adesanya leon edwards yiri prohatska casey o'neill Mohammed mokayev jack della madalena jack hermanson and others and he has also tim simpson today signed max holloway whose former manager chris wow. daggett recently stepped away so yes. if you care about the uh positioning wise of the power managers in this game uh that seems to be a power move tim simpson just made yeah, Tim, who I've had uh, some work with, uh, I have liked. I liked him. Tim is uh, so far has proven to me to be uh, definitely one of the better managers in the game. I'd be curious to know what the story is about him going out on his own, though. What's it called? Chosen Advisory Group. Yes, chosen, not not chosen like the villain from Karate Kid Part Two, Luke. More like C H O S E N. Yeah, chosen as in like the the frozen chosen, like the battle in the yeah. Korean War. I think Mark is saying that the news was first reported by Ariel. So whoever had it first, there you go. But uh, interesting news here. Uh, I can't wait to see the latest MMAI video reacting to this. Thank you very much. There you very go. good. All right. Let's go to point number three here, BC. It opened the show and you knew what you were going to get. You were going to get like just absolute chaos. And you got something pretty close to that. Uh, Brennan Ward and the comeback continues. Now his third fight since basically getting his comeback. This was the first like real opponent he had. And this was the first one on a big stage. I think even outside of Connecticut. So here he is. He fights Sabaho Masi and BC. He looked a little bit flustered early, but put it on him, proved to be the more superior power puncher, it seemed to me, and then was able to really just kind of close the show with overwhelming force and ground and pound. How did how did Brennan Ward look to you? It, he looked incredible. And, and it was a little nerve-wracking in that first round because I think the lack in striking technique and overall skills looked a little bit wider than I thought it would come in. I picked Homasi to win. We all assumed it would be a brawl. But when Ward started getting lit up early, got hit with those flying knees, you know, I, I wondered if this was too high of a move up, you know, if the two comeback wins last year were too low in terms of getting his feet back. This was the big leagues now, and it was on CBS, no less. But you look back at how... Bad shit crazy that first round was. They both suffered two cuts to their face, swelling. They both landed big jumping knees. Ward had a big rally in the, at the end of the first. I did not expect that he was going to be able to drag Homasi that deep into a war to the level where Homasi started falling apart. And Ward only got better the more tired Homasi got. That shows you that deep down, dark inside, here's a, here's a man separate from the MMA 
who has come back, you know, almost legitimately from death, right? Like as, as de- he went as far down that road of severe, hard drug abuse and legal issues that you possibly could. We talked ad nauseum about how he really hadn't trained much throughout his whole career, always in top level shape, though. It's just sort of how he is coming from that amateur wrestling background. But this was a massive step up in showing poise, all that stuff that could lead him. I know he called for a title shot immediately after, you know, look, he's still putting things back together. But he's going to be a problem, Luke, for some elite fighters because of that will. And if the, and if they can, if they can, you know, if they're not able to stop him from making it a war, Homasi seemed willing, right? He loves that. That's what he does. But if you can't stop Brennan Ward from getting you into a crazy fight, he might he might just break you down because he showed an extreme level of of stamina, will, you know, punch resistance, took huge shots, got cut pretty badly. And when he stopped Tomasi with that with that high kick and the punches afterwards, man, he still looked like he can go another three hard rounds. That 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 can be a tough superpower. You know, I mean, I was talking about Eblin's Eblin's ability to weaponize his cardio. It's not necessarily the same meaning for Ward. You kind of he kind of needs you to get into a war with him. But if you can't stop him from doing that, he could be a problem for some high level guys. Even if that that pure skill and technical gap is still a work in progress. Yeah, I mean, at 34, with missing all that time, you know, you do have to have, I think, just fairly some managed expectations. I mean, not that he necessarily has to, but as observers, you know, I think it's reasonable to be like, well, I don't know how far this can go, but let's see what we can get. But the reason why I like this one is because he did face a little bit of adversity. He looked a little bit rusty and behind the eight ball a little bit when it started. To your point, he had that hunched over stance. He was getting eaten alive with some of those jumping switch knees. That was a problem. He got bloodied up early. He got his eye messed up a little bit early. And then when he began to settle into it and the pressure began to build, and then he was able to execute while Homasi was, uh, you know, his defense was basically collapsing as he was getting pushed back over time. And again, remember the other part too, Homasi was throwing these big hooks, missing, and Ward was able to get the back, slow the fight down, make good decisions, slow Homasi down, has a flurry at the end of the first, and then comes back and puts it on him in the second. Dude, that's just good judgment from Brendan Ward, right? Like, the fight's getting, it's getting a little bit chaotic. I'm getting touched up a little bit. Let's take advantage of some broader uh, techniques. Let's put the fight on my terms. Let's slow it down a little bit. Just taking some of the... If you're going to have chaos, have chaos upon your initiation, not theirs. And he wasn't quite getting that. By draining Homasi a little bit, he switched the dynamic a little bit, and he was able to take over... That's just good work. Now, the, to answer the question about how far he can go, I don't know. But see, I really don't know. I, this this told me that um, he's definitely not going to be stuck fighting guys who have no name, who they can put him on Mohegan Sun cards because he's from Connecticut. They can He can do certainly a lot more than that. He's been talking about title fights. I don't know if Bellator is going to look at this necessarily and think we should put him in a welterweight title fight. Maybe they will. I tend to think he probably has to beat one or two more guys. But sure. I do think it is possible this year he could get one. I think... Based on what he showed, poise, decision-making, a little bit rusty, but then answered the challenge, yeah, he could potentially do some serious things in this welterweight division in 2023. I think that's on the table. I mean, I, you know, if, if he wants to take up a, the middle cushion on the Room Service Diaries couch one day, Luke, and tell us the, the, the long story to come back here, I'm... You know, I'll get my popcorn ready for, for, I don't know if we can call him the king of Connecticut just yet, but uh, a high a high prince in that royal court. You know what I'm saying? Me, Glover, Brennan, Chuck Mindenhall, you know, all, all the, all this apathy, you know, all the CT MMA guys with CTE. We're all, we're all, we're all going to come together. Yeah. Uh, quickly, we do have to talk about the ratings. I mean, if we're going to talk about slap ratings, 
Um, on TBS, we have to be candid about the ratings for Bellator because actually the, the ratings are always a big part of it, right? We don't know if there's going to be more of these or not. And if they are, sure. what the threshold is. And, and Scott Coker talked about it with Ariel Hawani prior to the event about what the uh, a reasonable threshold would look like. Um, now, we don't have full and complete numbers for two reasons. One, we only have 9 to 11. We don't have any uh, sense of what happened after the 11 o'clock broadcast. We will get some of those numbers tonight. So this number is going to go up. Also, BC, this is the real X factor. I just don't know how streaming is going to impact it as well, where you have right. Paramount Plus and blah, blah, blah. But that being said, ratings were not great. Uh, we just have to be candid about that. Uh, in fact, of the one, two, three, six MMA events that have ever aired on CBS, given the caveats I already mentioned, keeping that up there, uh, this is the lowest rated of them all. Now, again, I think the numbers are going to go up, but I don't know if they're going to match. I mean, that that element is not a surprise that it would be the lowest rating of all, given how far the the template has changed in terms of streaming versus traditional cable and all of that. But you did hear Scott Coker tell Ariel that, you know, he considered a, a major win, the potential of 3 million viewers. If right now it's looking like it's hovering around 1 million, you know, it's certainly a disappointing in light of that, but you do have to ask yourself, what is the new baseline? You know, we don't know what CBS, we don't know what CBS was looking for toward the idea of doing this more often for big events, maybe bringing back boxing. You know, they had huge success ratings wise with, the Porter Thurman and, and Thurman Garcia fights that aired in 2016 and 2017 on big CBS. Obviously, us being, you know, big Paramount guys, we hope for good things moving forward. And I think if you're a combat sports fan, you would want Bellator to have the access here for big time events like this. But uh, yeah, Luke, it, it's it's hard to really know in this day and age. Uh, what I don't know. And, and will those numbers, can they change dramatically once the streaming numbers come in, once the post 11 p.m. numbers come in? So I, it came in, it came in the, the 9 to 11 o'clock slot fast nationals, which is like your overnight numbers. They came in at 928K. I think when you get past 11 o'clock, it's definitely going to go past a million at a bare minimum. And then with the streaming, it's hard to say. Could it do a million five, two? I, I, I don't think there's probably two million total. So maybe a million right. five at the highest, something, something like that. We'll have to see. And it will update folks when we get the more accurate numbers. Just for clarification, by the way, of the six events that ever aired on CBS for MMA, four of them were either headlined by Fedor or Kimbo Slice. So Elite XC Primetime with Kimbo Slice did 4.85 million. Elite XC Unfinished Business, which did not have him, was 2.6. Then you bring him back for Elite XC Heat, 4.5 million. Kimbo Slice, a goddamn ratings oh, no juggernaut. Doubt. Then Strike Force Fedor Rogers was at 4.04 million. Strikeforce Nashville, which of course we all know the story there, 2.9 million. And then Bellator 290, again, overnight this will go up, but it stands at 928K. I, I mean, I, I don't, the other ones felt bigger, like these cultural moments were like, oh my God, MMA is going to be on CBS. In the case of, you know, either Fedor or you typically or um, Kimbo Slice headlining, it was a really big deal. Everyone was kind of paying attention. And in this one, it, it, because the age, we're just in a different time with MMA's relationship to a broader society. It's, you know, they it doesn't have the same. It, this used to be like a punk rock move to put MMA on television, and now it's sort of just another sporting move. It's kind of, in a good way, transitioned up to that extent. I will say, I just, I, I didn't see on CBS a ton of promotion for this. I don't know if I missed it. I don't know if there was other programming from the previous week leading up to this. Um, but and I also don't know if this is going to reach the threshold where they will do subsequent shows. Right. But not not a great number if we can be Well, honest. we got to see what the peak number is because you have the average across the whole broadcast 
and then you have the peak. So you mentioned that Strike Force Fedor versus Brett Rogers, which was the last big one, right? Nashville was the one after that that shut the deal down, but yeah. the last big one that peaked at you know nearly five and a half. So let's see how high that peak actually was. But yeah, lower than the expectations that were expected. I still think a worthy gamble from Coker, but I think tied to this news, Luke, a lot of people DMing me saying you guys better talk about this. What do you make of the fact that the California Athletic Commission did release the per the purses? And on paper, it's what uh, one hundred thousand for Bader, one hundred fifty thousand for Fedor. But uh, the obvious after the fact expectations are that they will both make seven to eight, ten times more than that, based on a lot of things, including bonuses, sponsors, all that. There were there was some kickback from people saying, okay, if you guys are going to criticize that practice by UFC to post small and then behind the scenes give a you know a, a certain discretionary amount is this the same case for this card by Bellator Yeah I don't know why people keep bringing this up but they keep bringing this up guys here's how this works and we've been over this a million times I don't know why we have to keep coming back to this I'm not going to say by the way I think it was 100 for Fedor and 150 for Bader um let's double check that but I believe that's how it went guys we know from court documents that Bellator gives about 46-47% of their annual revenue to fighters. This is what they can offer, right? This is what they can offer. Now, maybe there's more on the back end that we don't know about with um, Fedor. You know, who knows how he gets paid? I, I have a very strong suspicion. It's probably not just 100K, but to the point you're raising, like, which were UFC, would we draw the same distinctions? This is the difference. The difference is that Bellator doesn't have any other money to give. So what you see the fighters get is literally them maxing it out in terms of their annual budgets basically every time. So if it ends up being less than a UFC card or not in keeping with what you might imagine, those are fine criticisms to make. But my response is going to be, where would you like the money to come from? In the total amount of their budget, they're giving away 47%. There just, there just isn't much left. So it's Right, not but the isn't same. the spirit of that criticism from... UFC fans who feel we are too harsh on that UFC's every move that it's the same practice that they would do of of underreport the total. Oh, it might then- be. Sure, it might be. I, I don't know if it is, but if it is, sure, then it's you know it's all part of the same industry practice. In which case, it's you know because you know great. there's there's no chance Fedor agreed to 150k. Yeah, on CBS it's, it's very very difficult fight. for me to believe that. It's very difficult for me to believe. But if you're um, but if you're just wondering about Bellator payouts, be like, oh my God, these guys on Bellator, like on the prelim card, they're making like five and five. It's like, again, one more time. What we're, what we're asking for is for the UFC to share a greater a greater uh, percentage of their overall revenue to put it more in line with what you might see in other com- uh, professional sports. Bellator already does that. We know that. We have, we have evidence of it. We have proof. Um, now, whether they're doing the same kinds of promoter tricks like you know, to your point, hiding it here and, you know, bonus there. Yes, none of that is great, and that's a big problem. Uh, I just want to be clear about the overall numbers. Bellator is sharing 47%. I just don't know what else you could ask them to do. Right? Did yeah. Did something? Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't love the, the, the practice, whether this is Scott Coker doing the old UFC trick or not, of trying to underreport so others don't know and, you know, but, right. like, there's no chance they fought for just that number. I mean, I you know, I don't I don't love that practice, Luke. Uh, no, I don't love that practice either. And who knows how Fedor gets paid too? Like how much with sponsors or right? What, Russian TV. I mean, there there could be a right. lot of elements mixed. There's up. a lot of different elements to it. He didn't fight for 100k, but to your point, and also like we should just say any promoter engaging in practice of like uh, show and win 
for example, like it shouldn't be that way. It should just be what your purse is. You know, you're already slotted to pay them anyway. Um, so let's just be very clear about that. I'm just, I'm more speak. Any of those need to go away, whether it's Bellator, PFL, UFC. I'm more speaking of what do they have? What do they share? Bellator is more or less maxed out in that sense. Um, um, just, that's all. Quasi related, Luke. Did you see that Jake Paul said publicly he would be willing to box KSI at the end of this year, but only if they both agreed to a winner take all where literally the loser would not get a single dollar for taking the fight and competing in it. I did not see that. Do you care about that? No. All right. <laughs> not even a little. Uh, all right, BC, let's switch gears to UFC if we can. So it was announced after Friday's show, because why, why would it be before, that Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler are going to be the next coaches on The Ultimate Fighter. Now, I'm not sure exactly when that starts. It is roughly expected that whatever fight between them will uh, take place in either, either the third or fourth quarter of this year. USADA came in and be like, well, he hasn't re-entered the testing pool. And I'm always like, whenever I see USADA try and like regulate what Conor's doing, it reminds me of that scene from... Which Batman was it where it's with Bane and he turns around to that Jamoke and he goes, do you think you are, are you, wait, he goes, do you think you are in charge? Do you feel in charge? You know, that whole bit. It's like, do you, no. do you feel like you're in charge here? You haven't seen, I, I'm, I'm fucking up the story, but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, BC, let's talk about this. Choices for the ultimate fighter as coaches. We, we talked about that a little bit when they had mentioned Tony. And also, is this the right move for Conor McGregor? It's an interesting one. It does make me wonder, did we just fall for, uh, and we're finding out here from our great staff that uh, the, sh the Ultimate Fighter Series is scheduled here to air May 30th to August 15th. So this will be all summer with the fight afterwards, as you said, and Connor will have to, in theory, undergo six months of testing. I just wonder, like, was that Tony Ferguson just tweeting it out to bring some attention on himself or what was the deal with that? Was that floated out to put pressure on either Connor or Chandler to give in? Either way, it's a big move here. I've said it before. I'll say it once more to put tough. Now, Dana's did everything he could to keep it alive. Now it's on ESPN. Now you get to put Conor McGregor back in it when he's been, you know, away from the sport for so long. Once again, it's a smart move. It's big business. I am a little surprised about the matchup, though. I'm just because to me, this is a fight. Yes, that Conor can win without question. But based on recent history of both of them, to me, this feels like a fight that Michael Chandler can win, should win, and will win. But Luke, when I saw, you know, we always get those emails from the various overseas betting accounts that want to give you like the first line. Dude, the first line on McGregor versus Chandler is McGregor as the favorite, as is the updated line as well. He's an even bigger favorite. I think minus 140 around there. I, I'm, I'm very surprised by that. Now, Dana did say Saturday night afterwards, after the UFC card that, you know, he doesn't know any details surrounding this fight, which I think is really weird when... He's the boss. Anyway, Ariel Hawani did report from his sources that this will be a welterweight contest, which I guess, again, makes sense. Connor gets to call the shots on things like this. But Luke, what am I missing here from the idea that there's way more questions regarding Connor in so many categories as it pertains to fighting Chandler that I love this choice for the to make tough matter again, to, to do a long term build for a big pay-per-view fight, which this will and should be. But this is a tough-ass fight for Conor McGregor because it will be a war, and even though that might facilitate more opportunities for him to win rather than putting him in there, let's say, against a wrestler who's going to drag him down, dude, this is the kind of stuff that Michael Chandler does on the regular against the most elite fighters in the world and either wins 
or like he did against Charlie Oliveira, comes that close to winning, it's going to be a tough-ass task for Connor. What am I missing betting odds-wise? Connor, if he's at all the way he once was, is a sniper and would be able to pick off Chandler, I think, at various points. But like, Connor also had a rock chin. But I've been the last of the Mohicans until re- very recently to believe that 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 Connor can still magically create that guy back in the lab again and have that same mixture of drive with whatever's left of his athleticism and the fact that he does take long periods of time off since the Eddie Alvarez fight where it's hard to stay crisp. Michael Chandler's in the cage, you know, like clockwork every couple months, right? And he puts on these barn burners that. To me, this is a very uphill battle for this version of Connor, but I like the boldness. I like that they're not giving him a, a, a supposed easy way out of Tony, even though you can justify it like the Cowboy comeback fight. This is going to be a big event. It's going to matter. It's going to be dramatic as shit, but they are asking a lot of Connor here, so it's it's put up or shut up in terms of his future. I actually like this for Connor a lot. Obviously, it does great things for the Ultimate Fighter in terms of viewership, but that to me doesn't really matter one way or the other. But I think it gives you a window into like whatever kind. It gives you a little bit of a window anyway into whatever kind of state Connor's in. It gets the fan base warmed up by him because he's been gone for so long and there's been a lot of really bad headlines uh, around him or at least controversial ones anyway related to both USADA as well as any alleged criminal activity outside of the cage. And it's just been a, a very, very strange time. And even that last fight with Poirier was strange and his whole attitude was strange. There's just been a lot of, uh, it, you know, strangeness and distance between himself and the actual game right this kind of gets him a soft landing into the game it boosts the ratings of the ultimate fighter it gives fans a chance to reconnect with him and anything else that goes into it plus it's going to promote the fight at least in terms of all the digital assets you can create all the promotional material it's going to create it does a lot for an eventual fight with Chandler I want to point out something folks being like oh well why would UFC 284 need to be promoted outside of the actual fight week which of course starts today or Whenever And it's like, well, this just shows you when they actually plan. Yes, the Ultimate Fighter takes care of a lot of that on its own as the Ultimate Fighter. But it just goes to show you when the UFC wants to really promote a fight and get very much ahead of it to give it a lot of promotion in the lead time far outside of fight week. They can and they do. They can and they do. It's a great example of it. Different circumstances, obviously, because of the vehicle of reintroduction. But it won't just be that that promotes the fight. There'll be a ton of other stuff far outside of fight week that does the job as well, BC. And I just want to be clear, like with the UFC, they have a very, very capable promotional machine when they want to use it. They're wisely using it here. I think it'll be good. Now, look, here's the deal. Conor McGregor wins it. And look, it's not lost on me style-wise why Conor could be confident or even, even though I don't agree with the lines, I, I mean, I get what, how you described of why, why Conor's in this fight and has an opportunity. If he wins it, Luke, I mean, dude, he might be fighting for the for the lightweight title next. That's just how that works. But the choosing of, of pure company man Chandler here to get this type of big opportunity, is there any element in your eyes that UFC is worried based on Connor's legal issues, based on the fact that, you know, it's getting harder and harder to believe the idea that he can go into the phone booth and come back out as, as Super Mystic Mac again? Is this a slight, subtle cash out of him at the very top level? Or no? I don't think so. Cash out. No, I wouldn't they be more banking on him having like a rebound? Isn't this whole idea to rebound him? Well, I mean, you just so my point was you just as easily could have gone Tony and it 
We would have accepted it. Oh, I we could have gone a, a veteran like RDA, and I'm not saying that's an easy fight for Connor either. But you're going the very mm. dangerous ass Chandler, who I know does lose against the super elites. But dude, he fought his ass off against Poirier in defeat. Fought his ass off against Oliveira. Is dangerous as shit. Could wrestle if he wants to. Um, I mean, if, if as much as we talk about, hey, if Connor wins, anything's possible matchmaking wise. What happens if Chandler wins this one off at welterweight here? Yeah, no, that's a problem. That's a problem for Connor. If Chandler wins, and let's say wins spectacularly, right? Like, because his wins have been for the most part pretty goddamn spectacular. That would be a real problem for him. But the truth, but the, it's like it's it's risk reward, right? Like the other side, if McGregor gets the win and gets the stoppage, and you would imagine if he wins, it would be via stoppage. Then you know Connor's. I mean, he launches right back to the front of the division because Chandler is yeah. a volatile opponent. But he's a credible one. He's an exciting one. And we're coming off the ultimate fighter. All this would do is put Connor back in a great slot. I know your point. He's tougher than Tony. Maybe Connor wanted a tougher fight, honestly. Maybe he doesn't think it's that tough. And also, I just want to point out one more time if Connor striking is even close to what it was once before, that is a big problem for a guy like Chandler who likes to blitz in and make these big sweeping motions. A guy like Connor typically, typically has eaten those guys for breakfast. It'll be interesting to see if the old Connor different time, is still though. around. I, I, it is. I'd it be is. worried about Connor's gas tank if this thing goes, you know, a round and a half of batshit craziness. But love the fight. Let's not miss out on that. Really love the two personalities and what that could mean for Tough, a vehicle I try to avoid on the most part because it just doesn't entertain me. But I'm I'm going to be front row for this, Luke. I'm going to be fired up. So, wow. Big opportunities here. Um, I mean, look, worst case scenario with a win for Connor, he could get a Poirier trilogy if he really want, or or is it at this point are we talking about a fourth fight, Luke? If he really wanted it, yeah. Or he could he could get a title shot in multiple divisions. I mean, you never know. Same thing with you know, it's like how damaging would a knockout loss be though? I guess it would depend in some levels of what he looked like leading up. It'd to be that. bad. It'd be bad. Yeah. It'd be very bad. By the way, my friend R.J. Clifford, who is a producer for uh, the some of the stuff that UFC does for their weigh-in show, he's a host that. A serious XM as well. He made a point on Twitter I thought was excellent. He writes, quote, Michael Chandler has gotten more out of his two years in UFC oh, yeah. than most fighters get in two decades. A title shot, five pay-per-view appearances against marquee opponents, a tough coaching stint, and then the golden ticket against Connor. I mean, you want to talk about maximizing your time in the UFC. And I made this point on Twitter, and of course, Twitter is a place where reading comprehension goes to die. I've noticed that it doesn't really matter what you tweet. People decide what they think it means, even if it bears no relationship to what you actually write, and then they have issues with that. But the point I wanted to make, BC, was that you saw this a lot 10, 12 years ago, where guys who were in Sengoku, Dream, IFL, um, you know, you name it. Well, WC got bought out, but, you know, uh, Bellator at the time, guys like Alvarez, Hector Lombard when he came over, guys who had already built up a name that were in another organization that the UFC wanted to acquire, they would often get better deals than their contemporaries who had to put together like enormous win streaks to reach a commensurate level inside of UFC. They didn't have to do all that, and they typically got better contracts in the end. Now, certainly Michael Chandler has done the most to make himself attractive to the UFC for these fights and for these opportunities. But it just sort of goes to show it is often better to be acquired by the UFC in terms of all the things that might be available to you, right? You have some leverage. They want it. They're going to bring up a little bit more of the Brinks truck to get you or other opportunities versus just being a homegrown guy who has to fight his way to the top. If Chandler had to fight his way to the top, does he get at age 34? I'm going to read you these. 
Hooker, Oliveira, Gaethje, Ferguson, Poirier, and then Conor McGregor. I have to tell you, I don't think he does. Well, you have to add the asterisk of, I mean, he didn't just come in with a company man, quickest way to Dana's heart mentality. He's doubled and tripled down on it. He was willing to go to Abu Dhabi on day one to serve as the backup mm-hmm. for a title fight. He was willing to take on any big name and go out there. Gun- I mean, he's he's you could argue, Luke, he's fighting in a style that's that's just not always the smartest in, in, in direct correlation to his odds of winning. Yet he's willing to be that guy here for a good time, not a long time. And what you know, it's a tightrope to walk in terms of having enough of a winning record coming out of crazy fights like that to keep getting opportunities. But he's been everything Dana White could have dreamed of and then some. So it seems like a special case scenario when, when making a point like that. But I do get your point. Look, you know what's interesting? Well, hold on, com- the reason I make the point is because it's backed up by facts. I mean, people want to gloss over and make it about, be about like all the great work Chandler has done. I'm not taking that away from him. Chandler has done great work. But if you just examine the guys who got cherry-picked from other organizations and look at their contemporaries who are already in UFC and then examine their contracts, they were almost universally, it was much better to be acquired to get to the front of the line without having to fight your way through it the whole way. And I'm just saying, yes, Chandler has more than done what he was asked of. Sure, But sure. also, coming in at age 34, the way he did, it put him at the front of the pack without having to do a lot of the other things that his contemporaries had to do. Just point Reminds me of 2013 when I was at ESPN and doing big stuff and first started realizing that I can't pay my rent and somebody important told me, hey, they're never going to pay you because you came up with them. You're going to have to leave and one day come back if you it's ever always want. And that, that's, that's how business works at the end of the day. Luke, you made a comment about Twitter being such a... I, Twitter is like the last place I feel like you should be because it's got to be just constant disappointment because when I examine you know, closely our friendship, Luke, and the times that I've, you know, touched a nerve or hit the wrong button and and you've, you know, been really pissed off. The purest you ever get pissed off at me is not an inappropriate joke, not miscalculating, you know, Colombian stereotypes. It's when you feel like, I feel like you are making an argument in bad faith. You tend to lose your shit at me, even when it's not warranted. That's all you get all day on Twitter. Yeah, I know. The thing is for me, it's like, I don't like... Any person over the course of a year is going to have, let's say, on the show like this, a thousand opinions. And half are going to be right and half are going to be wrong. That's that's humanity. You you can't get around it. So I, I, I accept that in the course of doing this job, you are going to say and do wrong things. And I understand that. What I, what I just cannot tolerate is people not understanding what I am saying because in many cases they don't want to. In other cases, they have poor reading comprehension skills. And then deciding that my point is actually something that I'm in no way arguing, in no way advocating, and then going to battle over that, and then you know being ugly about it afterwards. Like I'm, I'm not even I'm not even arguing anything you're saying. It's like if I'm wrong, let me be wrong about what it is I'm actually saying, and I can accept that. What I cannot accept is bad faith and or you know all the other How bullshit that comes with it. How far away are you from turning the comments off on your Twitter post? No, I, I don't. Not not at all. Uh, I, I don't care about that. But because you got tough, thick skin, because you're half Armenian. You know no, I mean people about? are gonna people are gonna say. I, I, listen, I've recognized that. Listen, it, okay. <laughs> We're in an industry with people who are hopelessly lost by and large, right? Hopelessly lost, and so I don't imagine that the role that I'm going to serve with the time that I have in this industry is going to be grand in any kind of way, or that I'm going to be especially convincing. 
to a bunch of people who are desperately lost. But what I do think is possible is to at least introduce ideas that otherwise potentially would not get introduced or to give advocacy to opinions that maybe get lost or otherwise just not a part of the the conversation. So that's I, I, I fully expect disagreement. I, I, it is only that's the only inevitability with Twitter. The only thing that I ask is that if there's going to be disagreement, just make it about what I'm actually saying and not about what I'm not actually saying. I think that's pretty fair, but tough to do. Apparently, tough to do. Um, right. And also, dude, there's so, so many people in this fucking industry are stupid. Like, I don't care about their opinions. <laughs> like, they have they have you know these people being like Andrew Tate's great. Like, I don't. Your opinion is shit. I don't. I'm not interested in convincing you. You're not very bright. So. Why do I care? I would rather just put out the information to the world, and if people find it valuable, great. If they don't, that's great. Just be honest about what it is I'm saying and not. All right, BC. Sometimes, but- though, sometimes people in this industry make say things that make sense. Did you see on Instagram that they asked Jamal Hill a lightning round of questions, including who he thinks the best-looking UFC fighter was? I did not. What did he say? He said warrior princess. Who's that? I mean, you know, maybe great championship minds think alive. Like, who, who is okay. that? Who's the warrior princess? Cheyenne Vlismus. Cheyenne Vlismus. Okay. All right. Do you have your pants on? I'm just curious. <laughs> I, I was just relaying information I learned on Instagram, Luke, which is what I do on a daily basis here as a journalist. Okay. Thank you. All right. Last but not least, BC. I guess it's great news if you're Sergey Spivak. Everyone else, I don't know. Derek Lewis is now one in four, I believe, in his last five. He was submitted in the first round by Sergey Spivak. BC, I, I would like to know your overall impression. I watched the fight again this morning and. Dude, Derek Lewis got big brothered. Like he yeah. got thrown around the octagon by Sergey Spivak. What is your biggest takeaway from this fight? It's over. I know Dana White said afterwards that don't worry, Derek Lewis is fine. I love him. And you know, and, and yes, you should. You should love a guy who's got a great personality, has the most knockouts, right? And I think in UFC history and and fights in such a straightforward and fun style. But his run of of main eventing cards, in my opinion, and fighting either elite or guys who are trying to join that elite pool, it's over because how many more times can you see a flat performance, uh, an implosion or in this, you know, or, or just straight domination? I mean, Luke, I, I, I was fooled. It seems whether that picture that, that got me all excited about Derek taking this fight super serious was doctored or real or not. But what you saw in there, you said big brother. And I just saw a, a, a flat non-inspired uh, um you know this is not a shot at Sergey Spivak who's put together a very good win streak this is just the realization that this beloved fighter in his late 30s who has now lost what like four of five and I think been stopped in all of them it, it's this was not a performance in which he went out on his shield willing to throw big shots and he just got got that that has happened in this run this was just flat Straight, one-sided domination. Derek showed enough light life to get up off the canvas after we taken down early, but never able to create separation. And Luke, even the tap out, which, you know, it's it's, it's hard for me, right, to, to criticize any fighter in a choke on the ground, but the tap out just seemed like, all right, you got me. Uh, so the idea of me, even me, big Derek Lewis fan over here, being fooled into, no, this is the time, you know, where he's going to put it back all together. Humpty Dumpty's not, you know, you can't do it, Luke. You can't do it. And I love him. Maybe he fights out a few more times against up-and-coming heavyweights on the way up. Maybe he scores another big knockout because when you got that type of power, that's what he can do. But I, I think it might even—I think it's more mental than physical at this point. I just don't think he has the same level of focus, drive, and desire that at certain flashes he showed. Right? Even 
Even rallying against Volkov in a fight he was losing every single second until he wasn't. Like, that was a different Derek Lewis than the one we see now. And even though there's a collection of, of knockouts in succession, it's not due to a lack of chin. I just don't think the fire's there anymore. And he, and he can't relight it, and I don't... I don't know how the UFC can continue to to present him as as a featured fighter anymore with this amount of uh, performances that kind of all look the same. Different elements, different opponents, different ways they ended, but they kind of all look the same. And and I, you know, I'm saying that from a guy who loves and respects Derek Lewis's you know potential and upside. But to me, Luke, it's over. I'll say this, BC. I uh, I agree that he he looked a little listless and lifeless. You know. Um. God, the way he just got thrown around was just really surprising to me. Like Derek Lewis is typically like not the best grappler or wrestler, but certainly sturdy as a physical presence. And he's been taken down. It's not even exactly what I'm saying, but if you have to go back and watch, he just gets like literally like re- returned to the mat over and over again by a guy who was just like kind of dominating him. And again, the whole fight was three minutes and five seconds. Um, I just feel like to, I, I echo most of what you're saying. The only thing I would add, BC, where I don't really disagree with what you're saying, but I want to add this part. I do think we should take a second look at this point at Sergey Spivak. If you haven't already, it's probably time. BC, he's just 28 years old. By the way, I think uh, tomorrow, February 7th, is the Black Beast's birthday. So he's going to be 38 tomorrow, kind of getting up there. But in terms of Sergey Spivak, he's just 28 years old. He is now with Extreme Couture. He's gotten a lot better, BC. And I love the way he's able to punch his way into the clinch. And from there, he can manhandle people. He tried to outside trip, almost like a uh, like a Tai Tochi, and then went the other direction with a with a with a throw, which was just beautiful. He's great from scarf. He was able to get good ground and power, and, and by not not wasting energy, trying to hold down the big fella, kind of let him get to his base, and then just unloading. And then when he was halfway there, tearing him back down again, dude. It was just a really well executed game plan that. Head and arm triangle to get it so fast like that is is very difficult to achieve. Even if you're, I grant that like I didn't see the most resistance I've ever seen from Derek Lewis. But I just want to point out, I think everything you're saying about Derek Lewis as a potential headliner and the state of his career not great. At the same time, let's not lose sight of the fact that Spivak is young and getting way better, way quicker. I think we also have to acknowledge that. I agree with that. And in the run he's put together, having won six of his last seven, the only loss being stopped by Aspinall early, but he recovered from that very nicely and coming back. He's well-rounded. He's very confident, very young. He just turned 28 in January. We we normally, you know, even in the UFC heavyweight division, don't always see guys fully come into their full potential until early or mid-30s. Uh, are you looking at the potential of, a, of an all-Sergei super showdown to find out which one of those two guys, Pavlovich, or Spivak is coming and which one's going? Do you like that type of matchmaking? Hey, we got these two red hot Sergeys here. Let's make them fight each other. Um you could do that. You could do that. Um this is the problem with Spivak's win. Like this is the best win of his career and this is the best he's ever looked, but because Lewis also looked a little lifeless, I don't it, it, here's what I will say. I came out of this fight to myself thinking, "Wow, Spivak he looked great. He looked really good. But I didn't think of an obvious matchup next. It didn't necessarily like click like, oh, he'd look, that'd be a great fight there. And that one would be interesting. And that one would be telling. It sounds like you feel differently. I just didn't have a strong feeling about who would be a great pair for well, him next. His last loss before this streak of when he won six of seven was a decision loss to Marcin Tybura, who, you know, looked good enough against uh, uh, Blogboy Ivanov on the same card, Luke. 
I wonder if you run that rematch back going, okay, this is one of the rare guys who's beaten Spivak in this promotion. And Tybura, look, Luke, you know, he's a he's a tough ass out. I mean, he, he he's is. that guy you gotta beat to 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 prove that you're truly coming. So I wonder if that's the better matchup truly here as we coming. sort of sort this out. Truly just coming. Yeah. I mean that's what that's what um who said that? Uh Sabahu Masi said that yeah. like he had planned on doing. Yeah. Lots of jizzing. Uh, all right, so we'll see what happens with uh, with with what's next, but uh, that's our top five, BC. There you have it. Uh, I believe we don't have any other ads, so it's time for DMs from Donks, BC. The yeah, diggity he Donks. That. He hawed to that absolute bullshit. All right, we got we got mail viewers. I think viewers. Yeah. All right, BC from at big underscore max sixty nine. I mean, can you imagine putting that on your resume? Big hey, Mac sixty nine. What's your Instagram handle? Big Mac sixty nine. Dude, it's uh, a triple underscore. You see that, Luke? Just yeah, just to separate him from the other Big Mac sixty nines that are out there. You know what? You know what's great about that name? It's, it just flows so easily. Very easy to find. Great name. Uh, all right. Is there a fighter in any division that you guys recommend should move up or down in weight? Johnny Eblen might ex- explore two hundred five at some point. I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's crazy. He seems to have good size in that regard. Um, where are you on the idea? I mean, Aljamain Sterling is the defending champion in the D- UFC's you know deepest weight class, but there has been some some sprinkling of talk that an eventual move up to he- featherweight could be good for him. Do you think that's that he could thrive there? Maybe. What about Max Holloway to to one fifty five? How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, you know, some of that is dependent upon what happens in the Arnold Allen matchup, but. It's. I mean, like, how much do we hold against Max the when he came up for air in a big moment against Dustin Poirier, in which he fought his ass off at 236, and it was a you know one of the best fights we've seen in these modern times, but did not have the firepower at his preferred style to one up a guy who could match him and had you know bigger arsenal. How does Max offset as he's aging into his 30s, not having finishing power at 145? Can he be a volume guy and, and wear you down, Luke? Can it be? Can it be more of a ground specialist? Max has a good ass ground game, but he doesn't lean he does. on it, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think one fifty five is a great place for him. Again, I get, we have to see what happens this coming weekend. We're we're all getting on flights after this, but the reality is, number one versus number two is going to be fighting on Saturday. And if Volkanovski wins, he's like, I'm going to defend both. Come on, get the fuck out of here! No, you're not. Like that's just not. It's not. It's not realistic. It's not. I I, I know he is like not lying to the audience. He probably believes he can, but it's just not real. So. Um, we'll have to see. I don't have a great answer on like who desperately needs to go up or down because no one's like cutting insane amounts of weight like they used to, or you know what I mean. It's not as obvious a candidate for it as there once was. But all right, from at PJ Hayes seven, BC, what path would you recommend an MMA prospect take to make the most money in their career? Only fans. <laughs> Um, become friends with the Nelk boys, show up on their shows to get Dana's attention, fight like a badass out of hell, right? A bad out of hell, excuse me. And, uh, I mean, how, yeah, I mean, look, you got to market your, you're right. The only fans was a good comment. You've got to be, I mean, you know what, how's Patty able to just dance right in markets himself extremely well, right? That he's, that he's sort of living on the edge in his fight game and getting fat between fights. I mean, Marketing and finding a financial outlet for that is huge, considering that UFC tends to, as you get in there, cut down on your outside interests, you know, for in terms of sponsors and all that that you can bring with you. But, um, I mean, it's hard, Luke, because would you say the majority 
of fighters are coming through the factory of the Dana White Contender Series and starting at very low salaries purposely? Let me just tell you, it's it's almost impossible to make money in MMA. <laughs> like, in terms of the amount of people who try, promoters, media, fighters, anyone, it's extremely difficult to make money in this industry. So, first of all, what would I recommend? I would recommend that if you actually want to make money, don't fight MMA, first of all. Uh, because unless you're really good and you can get to the pay-per-view side of things, I just don't know how that's going to be for you. But I will go back and say one thing, BC. We made it before about Michael Chandler and everything else. Again, you go back to Hector Lombard, Alvarez, all the guys who got who got recruited when they were already established names that the hardcores knew that the UFC had to go and pull. And not Connor, who went Cage Warriors UFC, where he was kind of graduating. Yes, going from Bellator to UFC is a bit of a graduation, but Alvarez was already king of the undergrounds. He already had underground, he already had a bunch of belts and so forth. So getting those people like much more senior level. If you can get recruited and signed in that way. You can probably get more money. And I would look at someone like A.J. McKee. A.J. McKee is going to get a fair amount of money that he probably would not have necessarily gotten in UFC. And if he eventually <clears> signs <throat> with them at some point, because he's still, like I think, well under 30, if he signs with them at some point, he might get a really sweetheart deal and then jump right into pay-per-view. That could be something. That could be something. So, you know, finding ways to make yourself attractive, to be acquired. But just like I'm going to bite down on the mouthpiece and I'm going to do all the grunt work that no one wants, no one else wants to because I take pride you know, in the my work habits and my and my you know commitment to the grind. That's great. That that's noble. That shit ain't gonna get you paid. It's not gonna get you paid. Uh, you have to be very very good, and you have to be acquired uh, as like some kind of you know um, valuable attraction. So simple as that. Or just really. or just show your hog on OnlyFans. Yeah, and you can just show your dick on train. OnlyFans yeah, and yeah. stop doing this. Like, I mean, look what what do you think of this movement? We, we tend to think of it more for female fighters, but like you hear female fighters talk about it, you know, and they talk about it from a standpoint of like, you know, my body is 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 like an artistic statement. I'm proud of it. I want to show it. And also the reality of when I do this and only fans, I'm I can afford to not have a full time job now. I can train yeah. full time at a high level. But what does that say about this industry that that's becoming like part of the job, part of the deal? Dude, I've been telling you this. Like, you talk to media members. I don't know how many are happy with their job. You talk to a lot of fighters. I don't know how many are happy with their job. You talk to promoters, except like the most successful ones. I don't know how happy they are with their jobs. Like, we're happy with our job. We have the best job maybe in the industry. So I want to be clear. Like, we're extremely lucky. But that's just my point. Like, dude, this is not a great industry to work in. It's not. Like, it's actually not great. Um, because there are very few jobs. Very few of them pay well. And that's true in any direction that you look. Yes, you see all the big cases of people who have done really well, and that's it kind of warps your perspective, but the vast, vast majority aren't going to make very much doing it. Um, don't. And by the way, to your point about OnlyFans, I don't think it's worth clutching your pearls over like, oh, you know, women might be showing skin or even doing more than that on OnlyFans. I, life's short, dude. If you can get some money and get some breathing room in that, dude, life is hard enough just making it through the day just making it through the day is so difficult and and then to put together a year and then 10 and then 20 it's fucking hard and if you have kids it's even harder and if you don't have a lot of money it's fucking insanely hard so you can show your and whatever else and you can get some cash go do it i'm not <laughs> go, showing my go pipe, do dude. it 
Okay, huh? I have certain, I have some limitations and standards. I'm not judging those who do, but I'm not, you, I'm not showing it. All right. I, I just feel like I understand your point. Like, what does it say that they have to do that because they can't get a fighter purse? But my 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 response would be, I don't know how much money there is in the industry more generally. Even if you had a better, more uh, equitable conditions, it would be better. But it still would be winners and losers in a very stark kind of way. And more to the point, dude, life is hard and it is short. Get fucking paid. Just get paid. I mean, well, just, you know. The UFC is, is look, there's a lot of great. Right now, we're in a good time for the sport, the health of it. I mean, there's there's some leg, there's a lot of MMA organizations that are above the regional level. Maybe not quite competing head-to-head with the UFC, but, but have their own niche, have large TV deals, have exposure and all that. With UFC being considered still the 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 extreme elite, but also the one that tends to pay you not not as favorably, at least compared to the the overall uh, financial gain of the company. Like, at what point does that truly embolden the free agent market where you can use that against UFC? You know what I mean? Like, there, there there's a certain you know Francis is a big free agent. Nate Diaz can get money yeah, probably. But look what they're doing. They all to. want to go box because there's no one until the industry is changed by force of law, Ali Act, unionization. Um, you are going to have a real hard time getting paid in the industry. Period. Like it's just going to be very, 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 very difficult. Some will. Some will do really well. Like Connor's going to do really well. Francis, even if he stayed in UFC, would have done really well, right? He would have made ten million. That's a lot of money. But as long as, this is the whole point, he can't go to any other MMA organization and find other dance partners who he can make a lot of money with because the industry is so concentrated on one side. And so even if you get someone like a Bellator who pays sub but close to 50% of their overall revenues to the fighter pay, that's still not as much of a pool as it would be for someone else like the UFC given the control they have over the industry. So, you know, uh, I'm going to just keep saying it. Like, what, what's going to have change in the dynamics for fighters to get paid more? Force of law. Force of law. Anything else won't do shit. That's it. All right. Uh, okay. At Abernathy. Do you guys think the reason we haven't heard about Colby fighting anytime soon is his lawsuit against Masvidal? He writes, I would assume if he is claiming a brain injury, it would hurt his case by taking a fight. And the more time off is more compensation he can get. I'm told that that may not be in play anymore or that there's all kinds of weird ways in which that could be adjudicated yeah. and it's not necessarily relevant. I don't know the law in Florida, nor do I know the ins and outs of that case, BC, but I think we'll probably see him in 2023. No? I still feel like it's it's dependent upon how these matchups play out and he just wants to kind of see from a distance here because he would be a very fresh title challenger for Leon Edwards and he's coming off of a pay-per-view win so why throw yourself back in the pool and have to fight a you know Chimaev or 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 Shavkat or whoever you know uh, uh, Bilal or Sean Brady all those guys when he feels like he's at a certain level of fame where he can just get the opportunity but I don't understand the legal implications here of why this would keep him out Luke is he so, uh, so the, the, so the idea it? would be right so the idea would be like okay there's a criminal aspect to what Jorge allegedly did there's also a civil component there as well, and so if you're claiming that you su- that you suffered a brain injury, such that you are entitled to financial compensation. Now, again, yeah. I do not know the law. I'm not a lawyer. I believe the thinking is that if you actually did suffer a brain injury, how could you then resume a fighting career where you're now building upon this professed and alleged brain injury? How does that square? Is sort of the implication, but. The law is tricky. You know, I don't really know what it demands. We need people on call. Like, you know, the NFL broadcast, they'll have like 
former head of officials up in a yes. studio booth somewhere. We can go. We need like John S. Nash, uh, you know, on call at the moment. Like we're like, I don't know what that means for legal or fighter pay. Oh, let's call John. Right. I mean, can you think we could do that? We'll get a couple straw weights on call too, Luke, just to sort some shit out. Put him on. Put him on speed. Speed dial. Yeah, uh, yeah. we do need that. I, I have friends who are attorneys, but then every time you talk to them, it's like, well, I practice this very particular kind of law. I don't really know what it means for that one. I'm like, didn't you pass the fucking bar, man? Can't you just, can't you just tell me? But they never seem to be able to. All right, from a friend of the show at Telvin Kipapa, BC. Yeah, wow, you, you recognized Hawaii's own right there. That's Look right. at you, BC. I, we have a big week, right? So we're flying out today, and then we have to come back Friday. Then there's Showtime. We have to cover boxing on Saturday. Then after we cover Showtime boxing, I have to cover UFC 284 uh, yeah. that night, right? And then the next day is the Super Bowl. So he's asking, who do you guys have winning in the Super Bowl, the Eagles or the Chiefs? BC, you got a read on this one? Uh, no. I, this this has been the calendar year that I would say I was the least following NFL and mainstream sports because my entire life is my family, this show, Luke, and fist fighting. So um, I don't and have also a great fist fighting your family. Yes, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a great read on this bowl here, Luke. I mean, you know, I've only missed one Super Bowl going back to Super Bowl 21, 1987, January. Um, and that was uh, the 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 one the, the Patriot, the I guess the first Patriots uh Giants won because my kids were born the day before. So I didn't watch that because they had like surgeries that day. And I was like, you know, screw Tom Brady. I got life to deal with here. But, I, you know, I, I do come back for the damn bowl, Luke. All right. You know, I could probably beat most in all time Super Bowl trivia. But no, I don't know who's going to win this. Is Mahomes have a healthy ankle? I don't know where we're at. Who's the Eagles quarterback? Nick Foles. Where are we at right oh, now? Jalen Hurts. All who, right. Who balled out this year. Okay. Thank you. You know, no, I'm going to go. I don't know who's going to win. I mean, hasn't Mahomes like thrown a bunch of picks in his two Super Bowl appearances, like four fucking picks? Something I don't insane. know, but I'm sure real NFL fans love this breakdown we're giving. Yeah, they love it. I, I'll just say this. I don't really like either team, but like the Chiefs fan base, they used to be great upstarts and now they're arrogant dicks. And so for that reason, even though, you know, Philly fans are, I mean, they're just known as absolute fucking scoundrels. I'm going to, oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say, even I have no idea who's going to win. I'll root for the Eagles this time. I'll cheer for the Eagles. And they're not supposed to because they're NFC East rivals, but the commanders are just, you know. I just hope both teams play well, Luke, and they're really happy with their performance. That's I'm not. You know what I'm going to do during the Super Bowl? Nothing. I hope I'm somebody shows their the boob couch. during the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's about it. All right. Yeah. That's it. You know what I do tune into and my, my wife and kids make fun of me? You ever watch like... No, the, the, the halftime like puppy bowl or the kitten one, Luke, when they're like, you know, like tackling each other and playing with the yarn and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm an absolute weirdo, but that makes me really happy watching that. BC, I think I have this right, but I could be wrong. Who is the Super Bowl halftime show this year? I have no idea. I think it's Rihanna. I think. I think. Yes. Com- uh, Luke, uh, Long Island Luke and Gaffer com- yeah, confirming Rihanna. Okay. it is Rihanna. Uh, last but not least, BC, from at MJ.Heath. Over under four and a half. The number of Brian's jokes that Luke no-sells in front of a live London audience. Oh, I'm taking the over on that. I'm taking the over huge on that. Here's the thing. I expect that no sell from you, but I, you know, I'm looking to see if 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 I'm big in the UK. You know, I'm looking to see if my material just just sticks to people. Just, you know, just yeah. All are right, you gonna do the tradition? You you of course are gonna do traditional Brian Campbell, where you walk into a room loudly 
and then fill it with yourself so that no one else can have any room in that well, room. Well, I agree. Right? Would you confirm that I had some pretty strong ideas for this show that, you know, certain people got very <laughs> got very conservative about? All right? BC wanted to have, I can't even explain this to you. BC thought that what we were doing was like that we had the production staff of American Idol. And, you know, we could do all of these crazy things on set. And they're like, we can't really do any of this shit. And he wanted staff whose job it is to like hold cameras to then like be part of the show. And like, they were all like, we're not fucking doing this. I mean, here's the thing, you know, you want to do a, a really good live show or you want to do the best live show anyone's ever considered on a, on a podcast scale that that makes other corners of the globe go, damn, we need we need MK. We don't want them. We need them, Luke. OK, uh, well, I'm not we looking. Didn't. I'm not looking to tickle the rim, Luke. OK, I'm, I'm going. I'm looking to, you know, I'm looking to call Tui, if you know what I mean. Right. couple of digits and just have fun with it. Uh, all right, BC. That is it for our top five. It is time now for BC's feces. Take it away. Yeah, I scoured the globe yesterday, Luke, uh, for the good, the bad, the ugly, the high, the low, the in-between, all that real bullshit we talk about here in combat sports and beyond. It's viral videos. It's fun. It's called, have you seen the shit? Oh, God. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, yeah, we're going to do this. We got some boxing to get to, but let's start in MMA. Bellator 290 from Inglewood. Here is the slow motion highlight of Lorenz Larkin elbowing Muhammad Berkamoff. Luke, nasty, nasty boy. Super, super nasty. <laughs> you, you can't really see it from this clip, but he actually turns him and gets him to stop, which is all he needs to then fire that right elbow over Dude, the top. It's pretty great. He's 7-0 and with one no contest in his last eight since losing his first two Bellator fights that you mentioned earlier, and he's done it over two divisions, 36 years old, still got it. Still got it right now, okay? He looked, he looked great. He looked great. Absolutely. And you mentioned Johnny Eblen in round five, took an exhausted Anatoly Tokov and sent him to Suplex City with old Brock Lesnar over there. Let's get a replay of that. This was gnarly. Yeah, picks him up. Bah! Damn. Just a great punctuating moment in round five. And then he runs this one down, does he? The knee tap, couldn't quite get it. But great job by Johnny Eblen. Really great job. Uh, we mentioned Brennan Ward got into that war with Homasi. Here's the finish with that high kick in round two. Just great stuff. He almost had he almost had uh, Homasi turning the wrong way. That's how you know somebody's you know ready to go, Luke. Yeah, dude. He was. Bl- I'll say this. First fight back on CBS, the guy was covered in blood. Perfect. Perfect. There it is. Gentlemen, we're on national television. Gentlemen, yes, yes, Gus. We know, we know, we know, indeed. Uh, Brennan Ward not only got the big KO win, but got the creepiest hug attempt of all time afterwards from JCVD. Yeah, failed hug, failed hug, failed hug, weird hug, and then they're good. Can't believe Jean-Claude gave her VD, right, Luke? I mean, look at this guy. looks like an old POS, right? Look at that hair. Uh, uh, JCVD is the man. Don't get me wrong. I, I love him. But what's up with the hair? Just combing it forward halfway to we got the LeBron haircut there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just so they didn't know if right they should. The they didn't know if they're hugging, kissing, high fiving. It was very awkward. But I was told by people to look up Jean Claude Van Damme's attempt at hugging Fedor back in the Pride Day. So let's flash back, Luke. Here's what we got back in the day. That's decent, kind of creepy. But look at that face from Jean Claude. Oh boy. Okay. Did you see that face at the end, Luke? That's the, I just want to make love to you. Yeah, I mean, that's look a, at that's that. a man yeah. who's got Casey and JoJo singing love songs in his head. 
all, all his life, Luke, he's just, you know, he's been waiting for a man like Fedor. I mean, I have to, to be fair, you know. You know. All right. Uh, Luke, uh, heavyweight Ali Isayev. Uh, yeah, had this a, fight sucked. Fought to a draw with Steve Maurer, even though Big Steve got full mount, he couldn't finish him off. But did you see Ali's corner nearly yes. came to blows? Explain this to me. I don't know. We don't know what it's about. But the dude, with the, first of all, these guys just have Gandalf beards. The one who got the hat backwards and then this dude in the front, they're having some kind of disagreement. Then they stand and then this woman comes over her. She's with the commission. First of all, like tough lady, by the way, getting in between two two weird ass corners. But yeah. they're just yelling in you know, whatever fucking language. And we don't know what it's about. You think he was like in my culture? We don't respect authority from women. I hope not, Luke. I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. I'll just say that. Yeah, I hope not. All right, let's let's move on before we get in trouble. Hey, UFC from the Apex, Luke. This went on at 3 a.m. Somebody must have been lonely. Hey, let's play some sound. Here's Bantamweight Rinya Nakamura KO1-ing Tashiomi Kazama in a real breakthrough moment here. Let's let's listen. To see, that's what makes it great. Uh, zoom zoom the, sucks and I can't hear anything. But yeah, that the sound tends to get swallowed in Zoom. But dude, Nakamura of all the Korean fighters that had done the reality show with UFC and were looking to make a splash here, dude, he made a huge one. You got to give him that. His last name is Nakamura. Yes. Yeah. So he's Japanese then. You're right. You're right. Sh- Shinsuke Nakamura, the famous wrestler. But uh, was he on that Korean show or am I the road? He might have to... been. Yes, I think he might have. Okay. Been. Uh, I, I think but, that's uh... the reference I was making, which is why his shorts were like of the Dana White contender series kind, not the UFC Venom deal kind. So there you By go. By the way, right I haven't watched it yet, but I saw like the ads or I saw, like, I, it, it popped up. I opened up Netflix and you know how like it'll play the trailer for a show if you just leave it like covered on whatever it is on the cursor. And I yeah. uh, the show Physical 100, have you seen it? No. So it's some kind of like, I think Japanese game show and they brought in, I don't know the premise fully, but I know they open up, it looked like the Squid Games. And they open up this room and it's like all of these people who are like insanely fit, all like either Japanese or, you know, some, I, I don't know all their ethnicities, but certainly I did see this. One of the contestants on the game show is Yoshihira Akiyama, Sexy Yama. And he's, oh, uh, he, they all go there, all the dudes have to take off their shirts and they're all fucking yoked. Sexy Yama was not the only yoked one. He, he was, he was, he had competition. Look, I apologize. I've been shaking because I got to take a whiz. So the microphone's been bumping and our producers told me like people are probably mad at me, but all good moving forward. Here we go. I got to see that. If Sexy Yama's in a reality show, I got to see it, Luke. All right. I've been I've been caught up on season two of The White Lotus. Does any show make make elite white people more unlikable than that one, Luke? That's a fantastic. They piece are. Of uh, well, right it's there. not just the whites that are unlikable in that show. That's the good part about it. Just about everybody is. Yeah. Just hey, let's everybody. go back to the UFC octagon. Here's flyweight Tatsura Tyra. With a submission in the first round. This is the opening fight of the night against Jesus Aguilar. That was gnarly, Luke. Yeah, this is a weird one because they're both repped by the same management company. And, Jason House, yes. Yeah, well, I think it's Iridium, right? And uh, so they're both repped by Iridium. And Tyra was a minus 1250 favorite. I think plus 750, plus 850 for Aguilar. I don't know why a fight like that would get booked if they have the same manager. But... Um, you think they were cashing Mysteries, Aguilar out? The, the wonders never cease in this Yeah, sport. or punishing him for something. He got punished in that one, Luke. Tough to see. Uh, let's listen to this, Luke. Jean Young Lee had a big win on this card, and he's got a fucking plan for what he's going to do after a split decision win over Yeeza. Speak English. I have a plan. Denige. Next, Topuria. Next, Max Haraway to Volkanovski. That's my fucking plan. Yeah! <laughs> 
This guy's great. <laughs> Dude, how good is that? First of all, I love the balls of being like, here's my plan. I'm going to beat this guy, then Holloway, and then I'm taking the title from Volkanovski. But to, to, to hammer it home with, that's my fucking plan. It's like, yeah, you're damn right it is. Yeah. Hey, not, yeah. not in your native language. It's tough. Good, good for him. Yeah. It's tough. Well done. Zhang, Zhang Yong Lee is his name. I'm going to be watching him moving forward. Hey, let's catch up on some other MMA violence from around the globe, Luke. Let's go to Chuto, Brazil. Here's six foot four welterweight Jose Henrique Souza. Oh, I saw this. Sending, sending Alan Silva to the land of the ghost, but he called him on first. Watch this. Bop. That knee. Oh, dude, was that a front kick to the face? There was a knee. Damn, I love that he called him forward, too. He's like, come get this smoke. It's here for you, bro. Yeah, right? you need a lighter? If you notice, he chased along the fence line. He didn't corner him. See? See how he's chasing? He's not cornering him off and cutting the cage off. He just Oof. runs right into it. Like, anytime, here's a rule of thumb. Anytime you see someone not cutting them off, but then following them around the cage, like they're both along the fence line running that way, like yeah. Verdum versus Miocic, the exactly. person doing the pursuing is gonna see the land of wind and ghosts. It's going yeah. to happen. You're right. You're right about that. Like like Kimbo versus Seth Petrozelli, Luke. It's a little different, but uh, you know, a little different. Okay, uh, let's go to Fame MMA. Here's Alan Kwasinski. I think he's a Polish fellow, Luke. With a uh, that's the best running front kick KO I've ever seen. Your thoughts, Jesus. Luke? That's nuts. My lord. Let's see it again. He's pumped. Look at all those advertisements on them. Or are those just bad tats? I can't figure it out. Probably a combo, combination of column A, column B there. I mean, all right, got a lot of him re- celebrating. Let's see the let's see the yeah, finish. Yeah, let's see, let's see the shot. Look at this, dude. Good lord, Luke. You, you don't see that successfully pulled off too often in elite That's circles crazy. of MMA. That's nice. Damn. All right. Hey, also at Chuto Brazil, how about heavyweight? Kleberson Tavares in a title fight for the heavyweight strap against Andre Vieta. Look at this finish and look how fired up your guy is with salt and pepper to boot here. Just bleed, right? That's going to be you getting off the plane in Dallas. (laughs) That guy loves it in the crowd. Yeah, but look at, first of all, great knockout. Then he walked over him. Then he laid on him. Yeah. That's your new heavyweight champion right there. That guy looks like a badass. He looks like a dude who's seen some shit. I'll say that. Yeah. Hey, Luke, remember that time Islam Mahachev accused Dana White of uh, not properly promoting Saturday's UFC 284 card in Perth? Mm-hmm. He might be onto something. Let's go to Dana from Saturday night. When you have the number one versus number two pound for pound guy guys in the world fighting each other, like you said, in their prime, it, it never it's never happened. If you think of all the fights that we've done in the UFC... So, um, you know, when you talk about legacy, if Volkanovski could pull this off, it's obviously massive. Um, and if, uh, if um, you, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, can pull it off, it's, um, you know, he's on his way to, to building an incredible legacy. Look, who's the he that he's talking about? I, I, didn't, I didn't catch that. No it's clue. Couldn't, couldn't figure it out. Is that slap Jesus he was he was thinking of? Look, I couldn't I couldn't get it. I'll yeah, say this. Like, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I, I, in d- defense of Dana, like you know, the older I get, like our, our brains can't have the recall that they used to either. 
candidly. You know, how many times been the show? Like, what's the guy's name? Oh, yeah, Jesus, Tatiana Suarez. We yeah. we butchered that a few times. Yeah, yeah. a few yeah. times. So like, we're 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 not we're not. You know, it's not. It's in fairness to him. Like at you know midnight or one in the morning, and you're having a hard time doing the recall on the other on the other side. We see the optics. Not great. Not great. Not great, <laughs> not great at all. And thank you for all those times you put pay-per-views late on the east coast luke because that's what we're like trying to write our deadline stories we're like what's that guy again that just fought i'm you know yeah there you go all right hey luke dana will not uh he won't do that right he'll do anything for love but he won't pr- promote 284 on the level that uh islam wants you know what else dana won't do luke high flying dangerous attempts like this guy this ain't why am i cliffs but check that out Well, he's. I guess he stuck the landing. Well, I mean, I just can't believe that he's white, BC. It's dude. Look at that. Is that parkour over power lines? That's wild. I, I don't know what it is, but I just know this dude's dying early. I mean, he's, yeah, yeah. He's not gonna live to see forty, right? Like, what a way to go out though, doing what he loves, Luke. Yeah, you it's know? not that noble. Not that noble. All right, uh, Luke. Remember that scene in Half Baked where uh, Dave Chappelle walks in on his uh, on his girlfriend Mary Jane, and she's got weed, and he's like. You smoke? We could have been hanging out from the beginning. But it was really a trap. It was like an intervention. Mm-hmm. This video got me feeling the same thing. Hey, Ariel Hawani, we could have been hanging out since the beginning, bro. We, we, we spoke with Ariel uh, just before. And, uh, <laughs> Hawani. Yeah, Ariel Hawani. Smokes marijuana? No, no, we spoke. Oh, smoke. <laughs> smoke. What really disappointed me. I We're, we're sober guys. Really? Yeah, yeah. We've been, like, all three of us, uh, are, we've lost our license to smoke marijuana. Yeah. That was really funny. That yeah. was like, really Hold on, like, you know, oh, do you know any so other sad. aerials? So sad if Ariel had gone to that we, side. We smoked with no, we spoke. Okay. <laughs> God, I'm glad I uh, didn't enunciate that word. Um, You know, common misconception there, Luke. I was like, man, we could have been we could have been bros with this guy for a long time, I, right? I can confirm I have never smoked with Ariel Hawani. I can confirm that. Okay. Okay. I have also not smoked with him. Would you rather smoke with uh Chael or Steve O? Neither. I mean I, that's a nightmare blood rotation. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, it I depends. Like, are we I mean, smoking with the chill I, I think Luxor? they're fine. I think, I think they're Luke both fine. You know but I mean? like, but you know, here's the thing. It's like, I think they're both, I, we, I love chill. We had chill on the show. Like, chill's great. And I don't know, Sivo, but he seems like he's a peaceful dude. These, you know, like, well, there's nothing wrong with either of them. But I don't know if I want to like do drugs with them. That's a different kind of consideration, you know? Okay. There you go. Luke, let's hit boxing from the weekend. We got a lot of high points here. Let's go to the theater at Madison Square Garden, the Hulu Theater. 126-pound undisputed championship. Amanda Serrano and Erica Cruz went blood and guts for 10 rounds. Here's a little sampling of the action between them. I mean, I think this this fight had, like, most punches thrown in a women's title fight in history. It was wild, this fight. Something insane, these two getting after it. Cruz got a cut on on her hairline from a headbutt. But then we weren't sure at the end of this fight if Serrano was cut or it was Cruz's blood all over her. But, Luke, here's the final sequence in round 10. I mean, they went start to finish, balls out. I give a lot of respect to both ladies. I mean, she's literally, Cruz is just square, 
bent over forward and just winging these those Isak Cruz punches. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let, let's chat about this fight for a second. You can take that video down there. Luke, um, Serrano ended up getting somewhat wide scores. Two of them were eight rounds to two, which I didn't fully agree with. I thought there was a, a solid four rounds you can give uh, Cruz. But did you end up watching this fight? What did you think about Serrano's performance overall? I thought uh, I thought she was not as dominant. I did watch. I thought she was not as dominant as I thought she was going to be. I agree that she won, not as comfortable. I, I, I basically share your concerns. I, I didn't think that the scorecards really reflected how how accurate it was. Also, Cruz is a tough opponent, but not the same as Katie Taylor. So I yeah. don't want to read too much into it either way. Tough opponent for Serrano, but she got it. She got the job done. She was the deserving victor. There's no controversy. Yeah, um, but hard to know about how much it might mean for a rematch. Right. Well, look, she she I, I wasn't sure watching it live if this was her slowing down or if it was just sort of a I didn't love Serrano's style. So basically in the first half of the fight, Cruz Serrano's not used to fighting southpaw. She said as much coming in and you got to give Cruz credit. She ducked her head down and just threw the same kind of three punch combination over and over again. But it made it hard for her to get countered. She was landing with the body. Then she started landing some pretty big hooks against Serrano where uh, it felt like Amanda just wanted to stand in there, go go punch for punch, you know, Womano, E, Womano, Luke, Womano. and and see what happens. And it really, even though Serrano hurt Cruz in round six and kind of visibly wobbled her, I feel like she really won the fight from round seven through nine by actually listening to her corner, jabbing from distance, landing combos from distance. And it was almost as if she got lured into a brawl, figured, hey, I'm comfortable doing this. When, uh, you know, if she stayed on that course, she may have lost this fight. I mean, look, the judges ended up kind of doing this wide in the end, but that key strategical change, I think, was really what won it for yeah. her. So I don't think she's necessarily getting too old or anything like that, but she had someone in front of her who was a little bit awkward and was not willing to go away. I give Erica Cruz a ton of credit. You know, it was Mexico versus Puerto Rico, and she she showed out in this one despite the loss. Well, the victory, Luke, we wondered when we're going to do this big rematch. They announced it right after the fight, March Sorry, May 20th. It'll be on the zone. It'll be somewhere in Ireland. We don't know the venue yet, but Katie Taylor was ringside. She came in the ring. And here we are, Luke. Must see TV. The 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 arguably the greatest women's fight of all time is going to get a rebooking. Your thoughts. Picture's amazing with all the belts. I hope they make it in Croke Park. I hope they make it soon. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Again, my only complaint is I think the rules are BS in terms of two-minute rounds, and they don't do 12s. Yes. They only do 10. I hate that part, but okay, that aside, uh, those are commission choices, and I've just got to say, I don't know what on earth anyone could hate about this rematch, especially if they put it in Croke Park. Historic, historic meeting between two all-time greats in the women's boxing. So Love it. This is going to be the first time in boxing history, granted the four-belt era is only, what, 20, 25 years old, but yeah. this is the first time a four-belt undisputed champion, which Taylor is at lightweight, We'll be welcoming a challenger who's also a reigning four-belt undisputed champion, of which Serrano is at featherweight. Going to move up two weight divisions again to take on Taylor. And Luke, if it was three minutes per round, yeah, I feel like that benefits Serrano, who did have Taylor hurt, at, you know, particularly one big time in, 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 in the mid-rounds of that first fight. You wonder if she's got that additional minute. Could she have, could she have stopped her, dropped her, whatever? I think it changes whatever. a lot, but until we do it, yeah. it's like... I don't know what to say, you know? Yeah. Hey, Friday night, Glendale, Arizona. Dude, we got uh, some people calling it an instant classic. It was theater. It was Emmanuel Navarrete moving up to a third weight division, fighting for a vacant title at 130. 
And Liam Wilson of Australia would not go away. Here's the round four knockdown, which created that long count controversy afterward. Yeah. So he t- he hit him after his gloves touched the canvas, but went, okay, whatever. And then he this is how it ended, as you can see. Obviously, here from the caption. Again, on that knockdown, Navarrete eventually got 27 seconds. 27 seconds to recover by happenstance. Do you believe, BC, that he dropped the mouthpiece on purpose because he might it would be a very veteran move to do that? Yeah, it would be. And we've certainly seen it done correctly in the past to buy yourself some big time. Corrales against Castillo in the first fight, even though he ended up getting penalized when he did it the second time. The point didn't matter in the long run because he rallied for the knockout victory. We've seen people get just straight up penalized for it in the past. But yes, I do think that was the case, but I don't cry the same level of controversy of all. Now, look, when you watch a video that has a timer on it that Dan Canobio tweeted out, did he get 27 seconds? Yes. But here's why I don't think it was actually controversial. Navarrete got to his feet in about two and a half seconds. He was never not going to beat the eight count. Was it perfect refereeing? No. But what the referee does have to do in these circumstances is get the mouthpiece back in. It's not like the referee went and got it rinsed off. He shoved it right back in Navarrete's mouth. And if you're a referee in the modern days, you do have to kind of look at them, watch them take a sidestep. Sometimes you see the referees, you know, call them forward. He did have to, in the moment, just make sure Navarrete was okay. But, um... What are you going to say about the heart of both guys, Luke? Liam Wilson in this big moment, he was a late replacement opponent. Dude, he he's fought his ass off, man. He did. Fought he, I, his I, it was much ass closer off. than I thought it was going to be. Do you think Navarrete can compete in this weight division? Because there are questions of that after this performance. Yes. I mean, we need to see him against someone else. Uh, but I think... I don't know how... It's not even his punching power that I have, or his ability to hurt opponents and put them away. I necessarily have a question about... His sturdiness against them, I think, is certainly in question here. Yeah, yeah, big performance from Leon Wilson in defeat, and and I do have questions. If you know Navarrete's crafty, he's awkward, but it, once he figured out how to land that that punch from distance, it the kind the tenor of the fight kind of changed. But I don't know if he's got big time power at, at this weight class to to really move people. It took him a while to wear Wilson down. Uh, on this undercard. U.S. Olympic medalist Richard Torres Jr. continued his unbeaten start. Luke, unfortunately, he's fighting kind of cans, but he's crushing them right now. He's crushing them. He's crushing them. It's the early part of his career, and he's got a little bit of a claim. Um, So they're putting him in fights that everyone's going to be like, oh, he's crushing cans. He's so new he's supposed to be. This is how the game works. When you're like a decent prospect on your way up, they give you fights that are increasingly difficult, but ones that you're supposed to win up until about 15, 20 fights in or whatever it ends up being. And then you get the really tough ones or supposed to get the tough ones. So, yeah, he's beating up the dudes that he's supposed to beat up. But BC, he is hurting them. These boys can't he do is. much to him. Look at that uppercut. That's beautiful. From a southpaw heavyweight, that's a good-looking punch right there. Uh, let's not forget about Alicia Baumgartner, Luke. She was in the co-main event on zone below Serrano in her own undisputed championship fight at 130. Her opponent came in. I forgot the chick's I forgot the fighter's name, Luke. I just called her a chick, too. What a double embarrassment by me. A, a strong fighter who came in and addressed Luke, but once they actually touch gloves and let it go, dude, Bob Gartner's power, her timing, her footwork, this was a very impressive performance. Two knockdowns and then the eventual stoppage. She looked great. Uh, Bob Gartner, and then, by the way, was shitting on Michaela Mayer and her post-fight comments. She has turned into a star attraction in women's boxing, and it's no accident. She's great. 
So she's at 130 where she's now the undisputed champion. She's got Tony Harrison as her trainer. So she's really making some big gains here. I wonder, look, I still wonder. Obviously, the rematch with Mayer will be big eventually when it happens. But with Serrano and Taylor having that big rematch at 35, this is 130. Could Baumgartner be a long-range you know, opponent for either one or short, short-term short opponent in terms of making big fights? It's something to watch because she's really made some big gains in a short period of time, Alicia for Baumgartner. Sure. Uh, let's go to some random fails here. You know that's what we do. Were you a big double Dutch guy as a kid, Luke? Uh, all the kids in my class were, but no. People forget. Before video games got really good, we would go outside with a with with some weird ass giant jump ropes and do stuff like this, Luke. Yep. I just didn't have, you know, fatality endings like this guy. <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't really into flips. Here? Yeah, it's just it's, he gets. I mean, he gets. He gets. Like, there's no way that was gonna work without your feet getting tangled. Like, what are you doing? No. No. All right, let's go to the basketball court. You ever see these high school cheerleaders, Luke? They can flip all the way across the arena, like, blindly? It's crazy. Yeah, they're insane athletes. Look at this. She's kind of headed in the wrong oh, direction. Oh, oh, the crowd loves it, too. Look, the crowd loves it after she gets wow. hit. Oh, yeah. BC, I want to see that in an MMA fight where someone just flip all the way over to the other side, and the other person's so dumbfounded they just get hit anyway. Yeah. Once Michelle Pedeta washes out of the UFC down the road, Luke, and, and does like the regional circus circuit, he's going to be doing moves like that. There's no question. I love it. All right. Finally, our, our other fail is from, uh, from the champagne bottle. This happens. It happens. Do people not know how to take off champagne? Oh, she's just going to get She's going to eat it, huh? Yep. There you go. There it is. Oh, boy. Do, I, do people I, not know how to take it off? I don't know, but I, I kind of get the feeling that's not the first time that's happened to her. Maybe the first so, time with an actual bottle, but you know, my family that, is yeah. no longer in the bottled wine business, but they were for some time. And sort of, I'm not an expert. I want to be very clear about that. They are, but one of the things that they showed me was how to take off whenever you have any cork like this. You typically once you should have a hand on the thing once you undo that little metal piece that holds the cork, and then get a towel and then slowly turn it. And as you do, it actually it'll just, it'll naturally force its way out. But when you just pop it open like that, that's when it fucking jizzes everywhere. So, you know, keep that in Luke, mind. Luke, you and you and I are really good at this podcasting game, as evidenced by where we'll be Wednesday night, right? King's Court or yeah. King's King's something. One of the Kings is there. King's Place. King's Cross. King's Cross. You ever come across somebody in a regular nine to five who's just a master at what they do, and 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 you realize, look, they've 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 perfected the art. Check out this guy at the movie theater. Now, you know, do I question whether that's actually butter on there sometimes based on his hygiene? Maybe. But this is elite level skills right here. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. At first, I thought he was just doing the Tom Cruise cocktail shit where yeah. I'm just moving around for no good reason just to add some dramatic flair and I'm taking longer to make the popcorn than ordinarily I would. But he's making the butter go in stages on the popcorn. Chub right? Rock knows what he's doing here. Luke. Yeah, my, and, and then, by the way, he spins it. like, And the, you see the popcorn come up as he spins it, which kind of washes it through all of the popcorn. I got to say, 10 out of 10 for the big fella here. 10 out of 10. Big win. Big win for the fat fella. But not all fat guys take wins on this in this uh, segment, Luke. Let's, let's go to the Arctic. Let's go to Russia. Всем привет. Вот мама мия, пробью, Поцарапаешься же. Да ладно. Помчали. Oh. 
you. <laughs> hey, why don't you get a concussion with that hypothermia? So. There you go. There you go. It's a package deal, Luke. That's great. Great work by that guy. Hey, it's it's time for a grandson of the greatest update, Luke. Uh, Nico Ali Walsh scored a uh, a decision victory on the undercard of this top rank card. People seem to be still mixed on his growth potential as a fighter, but uh, he's posing posing like he's uh, Johnny Walker there. Remember when they held up Johnny Walker and his junk was out front, Luke? That was great. Yeah, this right? is how BC sits on the New York City subway right here. Absolutely. I want the world to see what I've got going on. There it is. Yup. But that's not the only uh, grandson of the greatest who's making some rounds on the internet. Did you see Layla Ali posted a picture of her son who looks exactly like a young Cassius Clay? Jesus. Wow. He does. Wow. Wow. Amazing, right? Yeah. The other ones all have like Ali in their name, but then they they bear no resemblance to him. Uh, this, this, This young fella does. Isn't his dad a uh, Curtis Conway, the ex-NFL receiver? I couldn't tell you. All right. I think that might be true. So he's probably, you know, great genes, Luke. Great genes. Where indeed. are all the elderly people falling off skateboards? I'm really disappointed with this bad. Hey, let's play a new game. It's called Does This Guy Fuck, Luke? I'll play the video. You tell me if this guy fucks. All right? There we go. Let's go to the dance floor. <laughs> oh, he's fucking. I don't know what he's fucking, but he's fucking. Oh boy, look at this. Look at that fancy footwork. Wow. Are those high heels too? Wow. Dude, look this is me waiting outside the shitter when someone's in there and I have to go. <laughs> All right. And uh what are they what are they asking us? What is Gaff asking us? Is that Marin? I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. But thank you, Gaff. Oh, uh, let's go to these this uh this orchestra. Martin oh Martine. They're asking if that's Martine. You know, the is last gaucho, Luke. The last gaucho? No, that's not him. All right, uh, let's go to the uh, to the orchestra here. Is this guy F Luke? Uh, he does is the answer, but probably to very gross sexual yeah, partners. Very quickly too, I could bet. Can you that. imagine this dude kissing when he gets all horned up? No, he is no. he is probably right. so gross. Uh, Luke, you and I are big fans of the uh, alt country band called the Drive By Truckers. They produced yeah, Jason great. Isbell. Love them. You ever hear of drive-by lovers? Okay, just crash and fucking die. <laughs> just, just, just right into the the drink there, please. <laughs> Who's driving, Luke? I mean, what the what? It, just run them over on the road. You have my permission. It's okay. Not All everyone right. has to live, BC. Not everyone. It's not for everybody. Hey, let's go to the pool party. Inevitably, someone takes a big fall and it gets messy. Let's check out this party. And there they are. <laughs> I don't think that was planned. She twists her ankle, pants the guy, and then sends him into the drink. Yeah, you can leave now. You can leave now. Luke, anytime I show you a video of Alex Pereira in real life, he looks scarier and scarier, whether it's dressing up like indigenous people in Brazil or this video in Dubai of Alex walking with a... Uh, a drugged up lion? Probably. Probably. No, no, no. Not probably. Definitely. Uh, you're not going to be able to walk this lion without some level of trank in his bloodstream. Uh, uh, yeah, unfortunate that uh, we saw. Who did we see? We saw Charles Oliveira do this, too. Apparently, all these people go to Dubai and then meet animals they're not supposed to meet. Guys, yeah. you're not supposed to know lions and tigers. I don't know if that's a thing we are aware of, but if you're would you actually rather touching. They go to, would you rather they go to Bagavan's place, Luke? Uh, is he is he in jail or not? 
Not yet, I don't think. Not Joe yet. Exotic is. Joe Exotic's been tweeting a lot of pro Dana White uh, tweets lately. Do you think he's trying to get pardoned through that relationship? How would he get pardoned by Dana White? Dana has friends in high places, Luke. Joe Biden? I don't know. I'm also, Joe, like, you, a president here. can only uh, overturn uh, federal convictions, not state. Gotcha. Thank you for that update from Washington. Hey, let's go to Rate That Tat. Here's UFC fighter Dan Ige. Your thoughts on his new ink? Please be good. That's uh, pretty good. Who is that? I'm not sure. All right. It's not bad. It's not bad. Okay. Okay. The upper part seems unfinished. It's still purple. But... Yeah, I'm about to say, there's some parts that look like they need some touching up, but uh, it's a little dark at the wrist. Um, but otherwise, actually, there's... Oh, wait, no, no. He's, so he's getting the whole sleeve done. See, it's a little dark. You're going to have to wait until it uh, it lightens up a little bit. Okay. Okay, it's coming together nicely, though, Dan Ige. Well done there. Uh, 50K, Dan Ige. Finally, Luke, let's go to the marathon. I don't expect you to ever run one, Luke, but if you did, no. I would be this guy cheering you on. <laughs> is that a bong? Yes, it is, with a lighter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. That How do you good. not stop and hit that on the way? I mean, I'm I'm busy trying to make my time. I'm I'm trying to get baked. Fuck y'all. Yeah, they have a uh, one of the best road races ever. Luke is this one called the Litchfield Hills Road Race in uh, Litchfield, Connecticut. It's mm-hmm. Seven miles, and the last mile is straight uphill. And they actually have an ambulance halfway up, parked just because because people collapse on the way up because it's so hot. Um, they have this stretch of it. So it's one of those like hometown races where every time you turn the corner, there's another like rock band in the front yard of someone's house playing. And, you know, you wave to them. You go through the woods and you come around the corner and they got these dudes with a keg and they got filled cups just handing them out to you. And I was like, yeah, man. But this takes it yeah. to a new level. Yeah. This yeah, that's nice. I could, I could get totally. by with that. I could get by with that. But all right. Yeah, what's well, the longest look, race you ever ran? Um... I've done uh, 10Ks or what? Those are 6.4 miles. I've done a lot of 10Ks. I've done that race that I just mentioned, which was 7.1. And I was marathon training in the fall of 2015. And um, I ended up quitting training because I got the job at ESPN. So like, I'm sorry, not 2015, 2005. I got the job offer from ESPN. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? I chose the career path. But Luke, I was... I was building up on my long runs, and I was to the point where every Saturday I was running uh, 14 to 15 miles. That's a lot. Point. Yeah, the yeah. most I, I've done 10Ks, and then the most I ever did in one go was nine miles. I'm not yeah. a big runner. I hated it. And I had that was a, I don't know if you know what this is. That's a, That was a boots and utes run. Boots and utes is where you actually have to wear your combat boots and pants when you run. No. And this was at 29 Palms. So that's the yeah, not, not, Desert. Oh, God, dude, that's, that's hell dude, and torture. That. I had the, I'm not even doing a bit, I had the worst shin splints of my fucking life after that run. It was terrible, terrible. I've always hated running. It sucks. I love running, I'm, but I'm the most inconsistent runner of anyone who loves running ever. Meaning when I can get myself into it, Luke, I'm all the hell in. I, I yeah. will... I will run until I die, meaning like I'll give all in a race, Luke. You know, I ran, people forget this, Luke. If I've done one thing well athletically in my life, at age 27, I ran a mile race in 5.56. And I was really proud of that. Dude, that's really good. That's really I, good. Yeah, I collapsed at the finish line and had to be res- like almost resuscitated, but it, it was a great moment. <laughs> I had a coronary and died, and they had to resuscitate me. And, that's uh, the thing, Luke. Like, a, like a Motley Crue guitar player, you know. 
when I'm passionate about something, Luke, I'm willing to die doing it. Right, which is which takes us uh, to London. Wednesday. I've had a yeah. sub seven minute mile at my very best. I've never had a sub six. Never, never, never. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, all right, BC. That is it for us today. So yeah, reminder: that's our last show ever in the U.S., Luke. I don't know about ever, but certainly this week. Uh, yeah. BC, that is it for us today. So here's how this is going to go. We're on a jet plane tonight. All various different ones. I will see you in the U.K. tomorrow. Tomorrow I gotta leave like right now, Luke. Okay. I know. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up. And so uh, we'll have Wednesday. We're going to have an episode where it'll be the UFC 284 pregame preview with Chuck Mindenhall. That'll be out Wednesday. And then the 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 episode we record at night for the Big Pod Live Festival. That'll be Friday's show. So Dan Hardy will be there with us. There's just a handful of tickets left. If you want to get them, come be a part of the experience. BC, any final thoughts before we wrap it up here? I gotta, I've got to pee my pants, but thank you for everybody for supporting us, for voting us as best podcast so we can do this ridiculous live show. Thank you to everybody who's going to show up, the Jan 6 Scouser, all these people that are showing up for us, Luke. We're going to show out for you. We're going to absolutely bring it. You can watch this episode on Friday of that. We're going to film Wednesday night. We got some good room service diaries scheduled for the next few days in London, so be on the lookout for that great content. Uh, what a time. What a time to be alive. I got to go pee my pants. Look, I'm so sorry. All right. You go do that. I'll take us out of here. So reminder, Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Reach the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to do that. Morningcombat.store for all of your merch, London merch or otherwise. It is all available there. And, of course, we already told you about the pod live tickets, pod-live.com. For folks who are listening on the audio portion of the podcast. That is it. That is it. The next time you see us, we will be in London, England. So for Brian Campbell, Molka, Showtime, CBS Sports, and everyone else involved, my name is Luke Thomas. We'll see you all next time. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.